Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Late night. What's up, Chalky? Do you remember Fuel TV? Dude, of course I remember Fuel TV. Fuel is epic. I know it is. But I have some exciting news. And what's up? Fuel TV is back. What? It's so sick. Yeah, back and better than ever. And they are the newest sponsors of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Yes, I love it. Thanks, Fuel. You know what the best part is? Of course I do. You can now get Fuel a whole bunch of different ways. You can subscribe to their new app called Fuel TV Plus and get their entire library of shows like Built to Shred, Danny and the Dingo, and Drive Through, and also their 24-7 channel, all commercial free. To subscribe, just go to plus.fuel.tv and download the app. The other way you can watch is Samsung TV Plus channel 1179. That way is free and includes the better than ever fuel TV that we all know and love. Skate, snow, and our favorite... Surfing. Surfing. Wow, Lyndon, that's pretty awesome. Really pumped. Hell yeah, it is. Welcome back, Fuel. Welcome back, Fuel TV. Foo Wax. The wax that's found under all of the best surfers on the planet. You mean late night? Always under my feet. And Chalky? How do you think I pull those big airs? And layback Lars. And those laybacks. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not doing the 90s again, are we? I don't do those anymore. Foo Wax, the best wax in the game. Foo Wax. Bonsai balls. They only use real Asahi, not like all those other imitators using sorbet full of sugar. Yuck. They also get their honey from a and bee pollen from a bee farm. Healthy and delicious. No processed honey. What also makes them amazing is that they roast and make their own peanut butter. Damn! They've got seven locations. And download the Bonsai Bowl app to skip the line. Skip the line. Order ahead. Bonsai Bowl, healthy, delicious. Caliente Southwest Grill. Healthy Mexican food featuring local organic ingredients. They also have great salads, vegetarian and gluten-free options. Wow. Yep. Don't they also cater and make party packs? They do. They have all your needs for all your events. Nice. Visit calientesouthwest.com. Or go to the restaurant in Costa Mesa off of 17th Street. Caliente Southwest. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Crafted in San Diego. It's an adult beverage built for all walks of life. Bro, you've had it, I've had it. It's delicious. It is so good. It's refreshing, only 100 calories, all organic, no sugar, also gluten-free with 0.0 carbs. Hashtag enjoy cold Ashland hard seltzer. There is a saying that you don't stop playing when you grow old, but rather you grow old when you stop playing. Iconic Life is an adventure-driven company that seeks to embrace life to the fullest and to never stop playing. 
Check out their natural hemp CBD products that help those that believe in that philosophy. Check out iconic.com. Spelled I-K-A-N-I-K. Again, iconic.com. Or on their Instagram at iconiclife. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. If you just didn't recognize what that was, that was our good friend, rapper, DJ HB Ripper. This guy, he has a bucket list of accomplishments. I am freaking stoked to introduce the guy that brought huge rave events like Juju Beats, Willy Wonka and how sweet it is. Uh, started a marketing company called beyond marketing had clients like scion kia nissan skull candy he's invested in brands lots of them polar rain optics palm spring surf club oh yeah what we welcome our good friend who's an alumni at duke's surf shop and surfside sports the pulse of surfing yes. b-man Brian Alper. Yeah, wow. Boys, what an intro. That was there's so much more to even uh, add. Holy I love that. Hey, I gotta make one correction though. Willy Wonka was a competitor. Oh but I'm so bad. Juju beats now sweet it is, yes. Yes. But yeah. Screw Willy Wonka. Yeah, we don't, yeah exactly. We love Brian you guys, man. Stoke. Alper. B Man. Yeah. yeah Holy heard, shit. You heard that, that song, right? Yeah. yeah. That was the B Man right there. Was, so who was that? You that was myself. My best friend, Jason Hardshark, who went as flyweight. So it was flyweight, <laughs> B-Man, and DJ Pocket, which was Jim O'Brien, who's another Slim gnarly surfer. Yeah. Not wow. only like gnarly surfers, but gnarly group right there. Epic. Yeah, we had, uh, when we were young, that was like 92, and Brad Blankenship was doing a party at Old World, which is an old venue in Huntington. And our claim to fame is we opened for Sublime. So it was like <laughs> Question Crew. Coldwater Crane and Sublime, and that was like that was our highlight. And after that, it was it was done. <laughs> wow! Hey, that's uh, that's pretty impressive, man. It was I, awesome. I went to a few of those parties. It was good times, dude. Yeah, Holy all shit. all age venue. You know, it was, it was proper back in the day. So, so when is uh, when are you gonna get the band back together? Uh, I dude, know we should because Jay Jay's the man. Hey. It was all it was all built around him. Yeah, uh, just support. I, flyweight flyweight yeah what a dude he was awesome i i remember uh flyweight uh played my halloween party when i bought mm-hmm. my, my my first house and it was vacant remember coming to that oh my god no because i was gone i think or oh you blew it yeah it was like the biggest house party ever all my neighbors were super stoked J- jay became <laughs> an insane dj he was yeah. djing in front of five thousand, ten thousand people when we were doing raves jay he was legit. Like he yeah. had a following and the whole deal. DJ Jason with an E. Yeah. I wonder why the E was in there. But, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was good times, man. So well, it's not about Jason, but yeah. you know we All love right. him. We want to talk about B Man. B Man. Let's do it. Brian Alper, take us back to the beginning. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Oh, man. Where was you born? H-Biz. Well, and, you know, it all started for me on a little street called Lowell Circle which was in Huntington Harbor, moved there in fourth grade. And fortunate enough, a, a, another kid on that street was named Chet Thomas, who became a legend in skateboarding. And legend? Yeah, Chet, the whole Thomas family, you know, actually Brian, Matt, the whole crew. But yeah, Chet, and I, were go, Chet and I were going to, yeah, Ryan Thomas did all the Vulcan videos. Yeah. And then uh, Matt, who's an artist, it's called Skullphone. I don't know if you've ever seen the Skullphone posters. Yeah. That, that's a Thomas too. Wow. So that was a that's Matt Thomas. That's Matt Thomas. Yeah, Skullphone. Shit. Yeah. Okay. So talented family, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we were going fourth grade, going into Harborview, so Huntington Harbor. Um, Where did you move from? Fountain Valley. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I forget what my dad was doing at the time, but moved to Huntington Harbor. Kind of stayed put there through all my elementary school. Yeah, and Huntington Harbor like is kind of suburbia right yeah it's definitely i mean dude trinidad island i mean there's a pocket of wealth over there that wasn't yeah. really our zone we were more by warner and algonquin which Got is it. still killer over there i mean yeah. tons of nice homes and beautiful yeah, track homes and stuff it's pretty mixed over there i mean yeah you got the really rich pockets but it you know there's definitely like a middle low lower in class in that area so. middle middle class for sure for like sure proper like what the middle class was back in the day that was the definition of it like, yeah insane like houses yeah killer but, little area but modest you know no one like over the top except trinidad island that was the exception <laughs> yeah. that's where like there's multi-million dollar waterfront homes but yeah. yeah where we like our zone was killer like we had a great crew close to the beach dude we rode you know we rode our bikes down warner to serve bolsa every day yeah. you know when we got into like seven six and seventh grade and stuff so so going back to your crew at fourth grade chet thomas ryan thomas um yeah ryan was older than us so he just he just beat us up um <laughs> so he wasn't really our crew he had his own crew like troy eckert troy eckert and ryan thomas were best friends so troy was always around but ryan and troy were like way too cool for us that's for sure um but it was like john, drums. yeah this guy john mcgee john um, McGee. you guys might know john mcgee yeah um, he, he grew up in that same zone and then uh jeremy smith like all these like Huntington Harbor Rippers, you know, but yeah, it was uh, it was a killer crew, and we just would mob around Huntington Harbor on our bikes and skates, and yeah, it was so rad. Cool. My dad, dude, was dude, he built this insane six foot half pipe in our backyard, wow. like a proper with like you know three inches or four inches of vert, the whole deal, like way too gnarly for me. But like Chet cut his teeth on that thing. We had all these 
gnarly skaters like hanging at my house you know that was like sixth grade or something and that's what it, it was rad yeah that was there's a lot of like backyard like ramps when yeah. we grew up yeah like we put launch ramps on the street like we you know we lived in a circle like you do yeah so it was killer we just had launch ramps on there and you know then my dad had the half pipe in our backyard and yeah we just mob it it was awesome so cool yeah so who was the surfers that used that got you into surfing yeah i mean so our crew was definitely the, the surf crew was well jason hardshark and justin hardshark moved in sixth grade to the same zone so fourth grade i moved there sixth grade jason and justin came in and still skating quite a bit you know like sixth grade but seventh grade eighth grade we started really getting more into surfing mm-hmm. except chet chet was terrified of the water <laughs> he still surfed, but he ne- he would always sit. He's going to get mad that I say this, but he would sit in the inside. He never wanted to surf the outside, but he would fall 10 feet off a ramp and not care. Yeah. You know, it was like, but we all didn't want to fall in the concrete anymore. Yeah. So we're like, let's surf. You right? know, it's way better. Um, so we, so the surf crew was Jason and Justin Hartshark, myself, Jeremy Smith, who freaking ripped, John McGee. Um, this guy, Jason Darling, he's just, I remember Jason. Yeah, we call him Hogger. He's yeah. awesome. I still surf with him this day. Um, yeah. And, and then kind of like we'd surf with the guys at Warner, like the Warner store, Huntington Surf and Sport, mm-hmm. Warner store, Rob Schwinnicky and Pat Shanahan and Dana yeah. Burley and do, du- and then Duke was working at the store at the time. He was running it back. Duke then. was running it. I, we were like 13. Of Surfside Sports. Yeah. Duke of Surfside Sports. Who's yeah. like my dad, basically. Yeah. We'd ride our bikes down there. He'd be in vacuuming at five in the morning. We'd be like, Duke, 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 Duke's a coop, coop, coop. <laughs> and like, you know, like pit stop, harass Duke, go surf. At, How we surf, fun. We surfed Bolsa Chica. It was this Tower 33, which was like like a legendary yeah. spot. The place was insane. You so wait, have, like, before we start talking about Tower 33. Yeah. What do you remember how you got into surfing? Who got you into it? What was your first surfboard? Yeah, my first surfboard was a Hayward. That wow, I, yeah, yes. yeah, we all had Haywards, yeah, absolutely. Um, but got us in it was like, yeah, I mean, so that why same Hayward, crew. like Farnsworth, or yeah, totally Farnsworth, okay. yeah, absolutely. And that was he was like, the local 33 hero, Farnsworth, and, and Papa Farnsworth, which was his dad, the guy never wore a wetsuit, just would trunk it mid The guy oh. was a legend. Um, Riding these big old boards and just I think it was that generation. Well, they didn't have a lot of choices growing up, but I remember, yeah, they didn't have wetsuits, they're just tough guys, yeah. But like the pro crew was like Gary Clisby, Scott Farnsworth, those guys, Keenan, absolutely. Brian Lovely was a little younger, probably, wasn't he he in there? Um, Yeah, Fujimoto, Fujimoto, Brian, dude, that guy still surfs there. Japanese current, he is (laughs) so good. I, I saw him, I mean, like literally this summer, like and just absolutely ripping, like he always has. He guy is such a good surfer. And he's so cool. Yeah, Fuji's awesome. But yeah, there was just this insane crew. Greg Ostis. I don't know if you guys know Gio. Yeah, of course. Gio, I dude. just golfed with him like three weeks ago. He was like the freaking Pie Piper, dude. Because he was like showing us pornos at 12. And like, <laughs> dude, he was the ultimate like. Why does of, that not surprise me? Yeah, we Gio. love Gio. <laughs> bag. Yeah, exactly, Gio. He, we love him, dude. But yeah, so we had a just an insane posse down there yeah and so uh, carl hayward was your first surfboard hayward and my all first your surf- boys were surfing on haywards absolutely with yeah. surfing sport like your the guys is like hang out like you know like you said you guys would drive by and give duke you know yeah we, we basically would surf and then hang out at surfing sport and hang out with duke and all those guys that i mentioned that were working there and yeah yeah it was fun dude i mean yeah. it was a seems like a much simpler time yeah so cool yeah it was rad and tower 33 you know, now let's talk about that. You're saying Clisby, 
Farnsworth, uh, Keenan, Fujimoto, Fuji, yeah, yeah, and, Ryan, Ryan Thomas, Troy Eckert, yeah. surf there all the time because yeah. we all Troy lived in that same neighborhood basically, and it so, broke yeah. like really, really good. Oh, it was insane. It, it was, was like a not a lowers way, but it was a really good high performance from the outside all the way inside. It had a reform. Yeah, the it sandbar do that anymore, right? No, it doesn't. The sandbar was insane, and then and it lasted Ma- for Ma- years, Maria, right? Huh? Years. Maria killed it. Dude. Killed it. Killed it. It never has come back. That's, I mean, that's what killed it, huh? Yeah, there's still, you know, when it when it's big, it, it almost right? like the beach had like a mini lower, like you said, like the beach went and yeah. it kinked out. Kinked yeah, out right there. And I don't know if it's from Surfside and the way like just the swells come, and yeah. it, but it was, it was kind of a little natural. Mini point, yeah, yeah. Not all the time; it had to have the right direction. Yeah, it still needed some swell for sure. But it's it kind was... of funny, you know. The the number thirty three is a mystical fuck. He's got he's showing us his tattoo of Tower thirty three <laughs> on his forearm. I gotta get a tattoo. If I'm gonna get one, it's gonna be Tower two. Sorry, Tower two. Absolutely, and there are Tower twos tattoos. But that number has significance throughout everything, right? It's a magical number, and funny. That's the surf spot that you guys all grew up. Yeah. And I actually surfed it a couple times and, and remember it really, really well. Yeah. Um, this was the yeah, same time where, when the hole in Surfside was... Going off, they too. They would go off, too. And that was there was a whole other crew down there, but it was yeah. that same time. One degree of separation. Or exactly. one tower of separation, depending yeah. on where you're at. Like, it's crazy back then how, how many... Low local spots there were from you know the hole to 33 to the cove to yeah north side south side river you know like all up and down the beach totally there was all these little pockets that were going off yeah. yeah so you had a full crew of fucking psych groms um who was the standout of your your crew well ultimately it was it was jason and justin harchark i mean jason became u.s amateur champ Wow. Like he was a contest machine, that yeah. guy. You know, he yeah. just had the... He'd do three more turns than you ever could do yeah. all the time. Like he, he just, and he was like... A, I mean, he still does surf really well. Yeah. But he reminds me of Chris Brown. Totally. And yeah. who else? Like... I don't know. He's Chris just Brown, smooth, like fast, good, flowy. Like, yeah. you know, connect the dots. Like you said, a good competitor that could connect the dots on every wave. Yeah. Just he wasn't gonna wave do a, really He wasn't well. going to do a huge blast, but he was going to do... A nice turn, little cutback, another turn, yeah. milk at the inside, floater, turn, done. Yeah. And make it look easy. Yeah. Yeah. And then Justin was more kind of raw and, and like more expressive for sure. Yeah. Um, he did good in contests, but so, I mean, those, you know, guys, those guys. And then, but I mean, dude, Jeremy Smith, like John McGee, everyone surfed good. Yeah. You know, like everyone, we all pushed each other and, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was fun. Like, Were you guys doing like the CCSAs and like, you know eventually in SSAs and all of that? Yeah, we did all that. I mean, NSSAs were kind of the focus. I mean, yeah. I would do explorers and kind of bog, you know, I'd get like a third and that was like awesome for me. But oh, I never in the final? Or yeah, third the like heat? my best result was like a third in a explorer final. Yeah. But we all know open is where it's at. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's what mattered at the end of the day. Um but I just, you know, for me I like I'd be fired up for a heat or two and then I'd just get cooked and I just couldn't keep the focus and you know, by the time the quarters or semis rolled around, I would just like want to go home. <laughs> sounds like it, sounds like Lars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's oh. tough, dude. It's tough surfing six heats and it's windy and you're just like, yeah, dude, I'm done. Yeah. You know, but the guys like Jason just kept the focus going. But yeah, 
Yeah, so we had, that we had fucker a, still is a machine out in the water. Dude, yeah. he got a nine-point ride during one of the West Coast board riders or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he like, he I, still I see it. him. I see him out all the time, so I'll run down with the Grom on the weekends or during the week, and... You know he's out every every morning dawn patrol. Well, yeah. it's funny. He'll, he well, he's like three waves to one. Yeah, I mean he'll catch three waves to your one, probably yeah. even more than that. Yeah, but and it's not a show about Jason, all right? No, we're talking about Alper here. Yeah, right? no, I know. <laughs> just he, kidding. Jay and I were best friends, so there is a there is a big tie in there. For no, sure. I'm just yeah. kidding. We'll um, talk about him plenty. Yeah, exactly. So, so how did you ever get sponsored? Or dude, I was sponsored by Offshore. Shut the fuck up. You know, you guys know Glenn Tilly? Remember Glenn yeah. Tilly? Like Bud Pro Surfer. Like He's a 33 guy too, right? He was a th- Yeah, he was a 33 guy. Yeah. Um, Glenn, offshore. Glenn got me hooked up. I was wearing freaking fluorescent everything, baby. Yeah. But yeah, offshore. Um, body glove. The dude wore a body glove, right? Yeah, yeah Glenn yeah. was sponsored by body glove. Yeah. I never was. But yeah, it was basically offshore and some local surfboard shapers. Like, I mean, nothing, nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, Glenn Tilly always had the sickest mullet kind of right like curly hair totally like short up front and then long in the back that was the 80s vibe yeah. right there dude for sure. he was a funny slightly super, brown looking he had a he had a he had always did this really like gnarly wiggle like he always wiggled kind of uh-huh. uh-huh. and then he kicked out a lot of sections for no explained reason you know <laughs> so we always were like kind of go what are you doing dude but he he did good in some bud tour comps yeah and, you know had some sponsors and yeah. he was my coach and then um uh, Guy Takayama. You guys know Donald Takayama? Yeah, so yeah. Guy, I think they're cousins, or I forget how they're, but Guy was like my coach too, Guy Takayama. At, at Marina, or just, just as my, like just a yeah, just local my, guy that looked after the... Yeah. And then um, and then at Marina High School, kind of jumping around, we had we had Lance um, Barron, I think, you know, yeah, Excel Lance. Excel. Yeah. He Lance, was your Lance coach? and Pat from Chuck Dent, Pat Lean. No Sick. way. They were our coaches when we were surfing against Huntington. Um, no wonder you guys lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? Pat. Just kidding, Pat, Lance. We love you guys. Yeah. OGs <laughs> um, right there. But yeah, I mean, I just, Glenn and Guy were kind of my personal coaches trying to like make me not be such a kook. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you took it seriously. I, I was trying. I mean, I you know, I was... Uh, yeah, I fell in love with surfing for yeah. sure. I mean, it was what we did, and yeah, it was awesome. Uh, so, so going back to offshore, Glenn Tilly was offshore too. Glenn Tilly was offshore. And he's the one that helped you get on board. He got me. He, Glenn Tilly hooked me and my buddy Jeremy Smith up with the offshore sponsorship. Okay. Do you guys remember Jeremy Smith? Yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. Dude, he was he ripped. He was so low key, but he surfed real good. I thought. Um, but yeah, so it was Jeremy and I. We had these offshore spring suits with this enormous logo. Like the biggest logo you could fit on the yeah. chest, and we just thought we were killing it. So yeah, it I was mean, good. To had, get to get a sponsor, right? We talk about this a lot with our guests. It's like when you get a sponsor and you get the sticker, you're fucking like, you're on you're on cloud nine. But we right? talk about like it's not like you know more collegiate sports where you're just on a team and you're just what you know you get the team jersey or whatever. Like you're getting. Killer clothes. You're getting clothes, and you're wearing them every day, and you're representing, and people are noticing. You know, yeah, your friends are noticing. Your parents are super stoked. It's what 12, 14, 15 year old is getting yeah. free clothes, and then I and then I'll, the sticker you on your board, dude. That's dude, like a big thing right when, there. I rep when, when Bill when Bill Sharp was at Caton, he sponsored me too. So I got okay. I had a little Caton love there for a minute when Caton was doing their clothing brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not the store so much, but yeah, so. 
that was sort of short lived. So yeah. yeah, I mean, offshore was the that was I was in high school and you know that, so cool. Yeah, it was cool. You go to the kegger parties in high school and be like, "What's up?" Yeah, that's right, ladies. Uh, look at my fluorescent <laughs> green shorts. Oh, <laughs> full day glow. Yeah, the clothes were tough. <laughs> they were tough. They're on point at the time, but they were still tough. Yeah, they were tough, dude. They were definitely the lower level brand. I mean, we can all admit that. Yeah. They were the J.C. Penney surf brand. I I uh, I was sponsored. I wrote for Robert August victory because greg wade was you know part owner and then they started licensing mango and it was just like stuff that didn't even fit me had to have my mom like <laughs> taper it in and it just was so stoked to wear it though like you couldn't get it nobody knew it, it was mango it was another version of offshore <laughs> totally a little more legit though maybe weren't you weren't you quicksilver i, I did it's in shortly after okay. it was quicksilver yeah. yeah but just that yeah that little, little mango, mango little, window a little window <laughs> So, so, so you stuff. surfed for Marina High School? Yeah, went to Marina from 88 to 92. So freshman to senior year was on the surf team. And our, you know, starting from like 90 to 92, we had a pretty good run. Like we yeah. were finishing right behind Huntington, who at the time was dominating. You know, it wasn't really San Clemente. Yeah, we were. That's, yeah, you were. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> your, your, your B team was dominating schools. Yeah. No, it was, a, it was a different time back then with, yeah, the, the caliber of, of surfers. And like you said, you know, you guys were right there. Edison had a good team. Everywhere up and down the coast, it was not like we were blowing everybody out of the water. Yeah. We just had good competitors, too. Yeah, we had Brady. Me. Brady Schemke is a year younger than me, or maybe two. But Brady was on our team, too. Yeah, and yeah we had a good you know, Brady surfs way better now than he did in high school, yeah. but he was still good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk us, talk to us and explain like, you know, I don't think we talk about it that much about high school, you know, people know about high school football, high school basketball, you know, baseball, but surfing, it's not everywhere. You get letter. You yeah, got, I got, yeah, you you got, got a varsity letter four years in a row. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and we had, you know, Surf in the morning, you know, was part of our school. Like we got, you know, is that called zero period? Yeah, zero or? period. So we'd surf in the morning. Then the, so it was, it, and I'm sure that's still happening, right, at all the high schools around yeah. here. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely a coastal, you know, yeah. high school thing. But yeah. it, was, it was in the CIF. And, yeah, and you we, know, we were the Sunset League. Sunset um, League. But yeah, I mean, it was it followed the same sort of you know football basketball parameters where you yeah. competed in the schools in your league and. It was yeah, it was insane. It was so good. Yeah, you got to miss a couple periods every every week, and you know, uh, show up, show up, show up salty, <laughs> and the, the chicks were into it. It was awesome. So, but like for for uh, weekend events, you guys surf contests on the weekends, right? Yeah, may, I mean, we did the CCSAs, but it was mainly NSSAs. Yeah, I mean, that was we would you know drive up and down the coast, and one of our parents would drive us and. Yeah, it was. Dude, it was so Would fun. you? Did you guys surf? Ex, you didn't exclusively surf in NSSAs, though. You would surf against schools. Well, you talking like, about high school or, or just individually? High school. So they did have a, a high school um, NSSA high school event, but it was like one or two. It was like only a couple events. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you you might be. I don't remember the NSSA being involved on the high school side. That yeah. was more just a sunset league. Got kind of school. Yeah. yeah, and you would go up against HB. You would go up against Hermosa yeah. Beach. or Yeah, it was more just the Sunset League schools, which was Edison, Huntington, Ocean View, yeah. Westminster, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. and, and Marina. But mm-hmm. we, we did surf 
and the lowers NSSA national championships on, for high school. Like we, yeah. they did have some events, and I I can't remember how it, how it worked out, but I remember surfing some. Is that is, is the NSSA when you would surf against like San Clemente? Or yeah, that, it, it like, was like yeah, San Diego, yeah. San Clemente. I think they might have taken the the. The, the one team out of each Sunset County. League or yeah, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that's why we never. I don't remember. That's why we never surfed the NSSA because we never made it that far. But in college, when I went to college, we I was doing the NSSA college, you know, yeah. league too, which was fun. Yeah. So go back to high school. What was your first job? First job was probably working at Duke's. Well, actually, no, I'll take that back. My first job was a host at the soup plantation. <laughs> <laughs> right off Beach Boulevard, baby. Beach and Eddinger. You would have saw me on my birthday there every year. Yeah, dude, <laughs> free, I, gave, I probably gave you a tray. Free meal on uh, birthdays. Yeah, so that, that was, was the first job. Yeah, I was probably fit, like 15. I went to work, you know, had to go right away to work for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that's how it was, dude. You got a job, you got a part-time job. So yeah, yeah, 15, I was getting dropped off and picked up and the whole deal. And then... How long did you do that for? Do you remember? I, I'm, pro- I'm guessing, but probably a year. And yeah. then, and then I started when Duke opened up his surf shop. Hold on, that, that's yeah. a good experience though, being a host, like because you you have to be. It forces you to be outgoing, right? Like you're like, hi sir, hi ma'am. Here's your trip. Yeah, I mean that was your job was literally say, hey, welcome to Soup Plantation. Here, you know. Yeah. Start here. Here's your tray. Whatever it was, yeah. and then. But it just builds yeah. character and, and personal skills and, and how to communicate and and just to get a check every two weeks at. You know, not asking your parents for like, you know, hey, I want money for a Slurpee. Yeah, beat it, kid. Hey, I want money for a candy bar. Yeah, beat it, kid. You know, yeah, you could go and, you know. I think think minimum wage was like, what, six bucks at that time? Was it four bucks? Yeah, it was like four twenty five. Yeah, I think you're right. Four twenty five. I think it just because we're about the same age. I think it went up from like four to four. It jumped like twenty five cents right when we started working. I was like, yeah. How how was that, man? Think about that four bucks an hour. Dude, <laughs> um, come a long way, buddy. But I'd have, I'd have to, whatever year Duke opened his surf shop, yeah. which I'm thinking it was, I'm kind of guessing, but I don't know, 89, 90, maybe? I forget. Yeah. I forget. Late, I was in junior like, high, so it was like 89, 88, maybe. Yeah. So that was that was sort of my first like legit job, yeah. you know, like running that store. So you're talking... Duke shop. The, yeah, that Duke, was on Beach Boulevard. Beach in Indianapolis. Yeah. Where the Pizza Hut was. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was it, dude. And I actually worked at that Pizza Hut for a little bit when, when Duke <laughs> shut down. Yeah. Well, I used to, before, you know, because Duke bought it, and it was Beach Surf Center, and I, it was two blocks from my house. So okay. I, I would skate I would skate over there and, and like, hang out because I thought the place was, like, oh, surf shop right here. But the surf, which was also on Beach, mm-hmm. and Adams was over there, and I was actually... Sponsored by them, but I, I would still go and hang out at those two spots to check out, you know, the new peak wetsuits, the new like product, you know, like stuff that would come into the shop, which is, what are you, a kid, you're just walking around like, oh, I want that and that and that. So you started working for Duke, the pulse of surfing. Duke, man, legend. Duke that was, that was the slogan. Yeah, exactly, the, the pulse, pulse of surfing. surfing. Yeah, yeah that, which like, was really funny was. and dorky. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Duke. You know, uh, we won't go into it too much, but he kind of got screwed over by Pi. Yeah. So, you know, he said, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. And he went for it, which you got to respect that. For time. sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So he opened the shop. I got a chat. I was surfing for the surf shop, too. Surfing for Dukes, working there. Yeah. You know, that was, yeah. So that was sort of. 
And do you remember what it was like? Like, because back then, you know, the industry was not young, but it was fairly new. And I'm sure when Duke opened up, he had problems getting all the right brands and because of competitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely remember that. I can't tell you what brands, but I remember that being an issue. Yeah. And it, it persisted for a while. Yeah. Even, you know, when he when he bought Surfside, that was still happening, I remember. Less than because, you know, I think he got to the level that... Surfside already had most of the brands he needed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there was still some of that happening. Yeah. yeah. And, and so how long was, It still happens today. I bet. Yeah. How long was Duke's around for? Not that long. No, maybe. not that long. Maybe a couple years. Maybe. Maybe. But not long. Yeah. And then they had the chance to, to um, basically buy Surfside Sports, which was on 23rd Street. In Newport. In Newport. Yeah. Right across from uh, Mutt Lynch's, that, that zone. Um, and that was... That was the next level. That was the game changer. That was the game changer. Yeah. yeah, that that sort of was the. I don't want to say legitimized yeah. things, but it certainly did. So go know? back though to Duke in that spot, and and you know, it's off the Beach Boulevard is a, a thoroughfare like it, you know from the freeway to the ocean. Highway thirty nine. Zero foot traffic. No foot traffic. That's what I'm trying to say. It, yeah. Like it, it, even though it, it it could be a good business because of the traffic. It sucked. It sucked. Yeah. yeah there's just, it's, it's off the beaten path. Like yeah. your surf shop back then, it was like you had to be on Main Street. You had to be on PCH. Yeah. You had to be, there was no. You had to have people walking around. Yeah. You had, there, yeah. You had the, the yellow pages and the white pages back then. And, you know, yeah. maybe you advertised if you're balling in the magazines, but those yeah. were mostly mail orders or. So you worked prominent. there. You worked the floor. I worked the floor, to, you know, worked the cash register, fold the clothes. Like, yeah. Duke was adamant about having his, he was really good at merchandising. So he'd make sure all the sweatshirts were folded perfectly. And we had a technique, even to this day, when I fold clothes, my kids trip out on me because I fold clothes perfectly. And it's just, it's, it With was no an, board. Yeah, no, no board. Yeah, I, I no, folding just, board like, I, you guys. no folding apparatus. Yeah. I mean, I, my wife trips out on me because everything's all dish. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a skill, you yeah. know? But yeah, so I, it's just funny. I tell them how it all started, my kids, about folding clothes, and yeah. I'm getting them to fold clothes the right way. You get so pissed when my mom comes in with a couple kids, and they just terrorize a whole like table. You're like, oh, gosh. Oh, totally. That's <laughs> cool that you, you, I mean, you gleaned a lot of uh, work ethic and knowledge from guys like Duke. Oh, man. Right? Like, like I said, he was, he was a father figure for yeah. me. Absolutely. Like, I really love Duke, and yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful for everything he's he's done. And, and I mean, and still, Paul was part of that too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Paul was kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes, yeah, making Paul sure was. cash flow was how it needed to be. And yeah. you know, he was in the office working. Paul's and the, the brains, and Duke was the brawn. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. hey, not, not the looks. That's for Dan. Yeah, it's kind of like our deal right here, huh, buddy? Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Yin and Yang, dude. Yeah, but yeah, Paul. They were they've been partners, yeah. you know, and and. Uh, uh, Duke's wife is Paul's sister. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's how it is, right? Yeah. Or the other way. Yeah. yeah. Or the other way around. I forget. But either way. That's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. It. that's it. Okay. But um, that, I mean, we all, we talk about it. Everybody, you know, number one question when we, you know, go into surf shops or we go and how did you get into the industry or, you know, just random friends of my daughter and sons and like, oh, you're in the surf industry. Like, you know, and it's like, well, I was born into it, you know, surf from, you know, age whatever. And I started working at a surf shop at 15 and, you know, like you, it's kind of, you know, 
Yeah. You've got to be able to like, you know, network, but you know, the only way you're going to network is by putting in those times and paying your dues and yeah. And even, I mean, to this day, the formula is to have surfers in your surf shop that surf good and know the equipment, you know, that, know, yeah. the, know, know how to talk. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's cool. authenticity. Authenticity. Yep, yeah, exactly. Lynn is all about that. Yeah. <laughs> Always. So, uh, after you graduated, uh, says here from from your very well put together notes. <laughs> he did all my work for me this time. <laughs> no shit, man. Oh, man. You got off. There's a lot to unpack, you guys. Scott Clee. I'm, I'm so happy though. This is this is kind of perfect. That's good. Um, obviously, you and your boys were into hip hop. Oh man, '90s hip hop. There was nothing better. Yeah. You know, UMTV Raps was just coming out, and oh, dude, we were hip hop heads, as yeah. you heard from the demo tape. Yeah. That we yeah. So hip hop was the passion for sure. We loved. I mean, and it was you loved and it. Jason. Jason and I, and then like all of our friends, we were all just hip hop heads for and, sure. And you started your uh, hip hop group called called the Question Crew. I thought you knew. <laughs> you never heard of me? Well, Pete Gaboo. <laughs> Uh, Dude, you, we're gonna have to have you and uh, Ryan Buell battle it out next Dude. time. Uh, a little freebase. Free <laughs> no, I'm a little rusty, but yeah. whatever. Um, did you guys? I mean, because we grew up, you know, sister schools pretty much in Huntington, and you know, there's all these always house parties and stuff. So obviously, music's very, you know, uh, influenced at a teenage year. But you know, when you're having a house party, you you want the party to be like. You want it to be cool. Yeah. And music's a big part of that. So is yeah. that, you know, like how you guys yeah. kind of formed? Well, especially like that last year of high school, 92. Like yeah. we, were, we were setting up our DJ turntables and mics and house parties and playing a ton of just house party shows. And yeah. Yeah. Mark Marino was like DJing clubs and we'd sneak in there and... It was so, just, it was just he's over here at the, the Hilton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. was that Waterfoot Hilton? Yeah. Uh-huh. The Hilton would go off, and yeah. there was a spot on Placentia and Costa Mesa. That, yeah, Lava Room. Yeah, Lava Room. Was, we were just... <laughs> we, we go through our names. It's, yeah. There was a lot of good <laughs> good times. It's funny, dude, like when you look back at that. But yeah, that was that all really started kind of like 91, 92, like just really like just diving into hip-hop and just loving everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And who was your influences from the hip-hop? Like what... What groups? Well, I mean, we were big Beastie Boy fans okay. back in the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, you know, and you got Souls of Mischief, like just a lot of different hip hop, like a lot of kind of West Coast hip hop, but we loved it all. Yeah. yeah. Master Ace from the East. I mean, just whatever we get our hands on. And it was really based around UOMTV raps. Yeah. Like that was the driver. Like yeah. whatever was happening on UOMTV raps, you go get the album. Emulate that. Yeah. That, that's where you got to, you know, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, like they'd be breaking artists. And yeah. Yeah, we found out everything on there. So you, Jason, and then you, you were talking about earlier, formed Question Crew and, and Slim Jim Phantom. Jim O'Brien, Jim baby. Jim O'Brien. Yeah, Jim, Jim was a South Bay surfer, lived up in L.A., moved moved down to Huntington with some of his friends, yeah. Ron Palomino and Cody and Killer Crew. like totally. Cody Ryan used to work at HSS. That dude is a little leprechaun that ripped. Yeah. Surf like fanning, kind of. Totally. But um, he used to like dance for like hip hop groups in LA, right? That's yeah. Right. Cody did. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, exactly. Right I remember there. I remember when counterculture was the big 
like cool brand. Yeah. And and they made those big baggy fucking cotton brush denim jeans or whatever. <laughs> and Cody would wear those and like they were like Jinko. Yeah. Super baggy. And they'd come in like maroon and green and you know, the funkiest colors, but Cody had them all. And he would dance and counterculture. I sure hope that 90s, you know, the grunge is, you know, hey, there's some cool, like, you know, wash down flannels. That, that's okay. But that FUBU freaking 19 inch opening where you couldn't even see your shoes. You look like a Gumby walking around. When I look back, dude, we, we, we would dress so crazy. We'd, get, we'd go to Savers, which was a thrift store, buy size 42 pants and cut them. And, dude, we look like total clowns. Yeah. It is. Next level. That's never going to come back. Never. I hope it's, not. No, I so hope tell not. Us, tell us about your biggest event that you had with Question Crew. The bit, well, the, the, the biggest event, which was still tiny. Let's be real about it. Yeah. But we had like 60 of our friends in front of the stage. But it was that old world show Yeah. Um, where we were the first group to open. You know, but yeah. it was uh, the opening act. The opening act, and the headliner was Sublime, so that was legit. So yeah. they weren't huge at the time, yeah. But legit, like they were, you know, definitely. The sound. talent was there. You're in a good talent pool. Yeah. So, it was, it, but it didn't last very long. Like, and, and who put that together? The show. Yeah, I believe it was a Brad Blankenship show. If I remember <laughs> yeah, correctly, I'm pretty sure. Who who yeah. was tied to us through this and mm. surfing, and he's actually the Ruka. Oh yeah, I yeah. He's, he's, he's oh, late night's yeah. boss, bro. That's, that is right. <laughs> he is, yeah. That's cool. I forgot that. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Keep me around. <laughs> so, yeah. so, how far did you get uh, with Question Crew? Like, what did you do? We didn't get. I mean, we literally cut this three-song demo. Yeah. Which, when we started out, I played one of the songs, and then uh, I mean, we gave it a little bit of an effort. Like we. It was more novelty at the end of yeah. the day. Like we were having fun and, and we were yeah. into it, but you we know, did parties and stuff. We did parties, like a handful of house parties. We yeah. did that old world show. We cut a demo. We kind of ran around for a year, seeing we had a hip hop group, and then uh, and then Jason shortly after that got really into DJing, like, and he was getting real good at it. So it sort of pivoted from us rapping to Jason really just DJing, and that went on for you know a couple three years before. I started promoting events. So when you um, say DJing, not just like how what DJing is today, you're talking about like, oh, like scratching and like like mixing records mixing. together. Like a, not just press a button and yeah. auto sync. Like, right. Like literally digging through vinyl, playing records, right. slowing, speeding up records, mixing yeah. in tracks over each other, and and, and yeah, scratching. Like, like yeah, yeah, Jay was scratching. Yeah. He wasn't so much of a scratch DJ, but he was what he was real good at. It was he was a really good mixer. Yeah, like he had a musical ear anyway. Like he was playing like drums and stuff. But yeah, yeah you gotta you gotta think songs ahead, and it's all timing. Yeah, and it's, it's I, I I was terrible at it. Like yeah. I can I can not match beats, and it was not my forte. Yeah, but Jay got real good. So then it almost got to the point where I was just kind of tagging along, you know, like setting up and and was he playing at pretty big venues. He's later in, like, I'd say more the mid to late 90s, yes. Yeah. I actually went to a rave. My one and only time was with Cody and I think Keenan. And we all went up to L.A. And remember Master Paulo? John Master Paulo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was that crew. And I was fucking tripping on what this place was. It was a huge were you building. Part, were you partying or were you... We were partying. Okay, yeah. But um, I remember, like, 
going, you know, it was one of those big venues and one side was like reggae, you know, house music and techno and just a bunch of different rooms and I was getting lost and I, I you know, fun. I remember seeing so Cody, cool. I distinctly remember seeing Cody wanting to fight this guy <laughs> because he, the dude was wearing a fake, uh, it was like, I don't think it was Halloween, but this guy was wearing a, uh, 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 a priest collar, you know. Okay. And yeah. Cody's like, <laughs> and I don't know if Cody was messing around or, or 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 was he was hammered and he was pissed, but he's like, "Yo, man, I'm Catholic. I take I take offense to your fucking costume, man." And, so, and we were like, "What? Like, what are we doing here?" But anyways, he, bring, yeah, bring he, he was probably wasted and having fun. And <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's what you did back then. When you, when you go to those raves, man, you were there, you were partying. Yeah, not many people went there sober. I'll tell you that no. much. No, no, yeah, not alcohol. Yeah, but partying. Yeah, partying. yeah, yeah. Music sounds so much better. Totally. Party. You, felt, you felt it in your heart. Yeah, you did. You felt, felt it in boom, your boom. your heart, your ears. Absolutely. So, so you got you got into promoting by by how like how oh. did that transition like you know Jason's DJing. You're you're obviously going to a lot of these events kind of seeing what's going on oh, i remember dude so this was when i was really into hip-hop still like let's say like 94 95 and jason went to uc santa barbara and yeah. he started getting into dance music and i was like what is this stuff dude like yeah. not really feeling it and then he uh in 95 because so when you when you say dance music like, like techno house like, like yeah like no, not hip-hop no, no vocals, lyrics yeah like no just, vocals just yeah. beats basically but you know what edm is today you know that this was EDM is as pop as it gets. Like that is mainstream music. Well, back in the day, it was underground. It was yeah. dance music. It wasn't. It wasn't called EDM. Like no one was saying, "Oh, it's he's an EDM DJ." No, you either played house, techno, drum and bass, yeah. trance, progressive. Like, but it was all under this dance music umbrella. But it certainly wasn't called EDM. You know, like it is today. Um, so it was just kind of just beats. You know, like yeah you know fast like just trippy music really yeah. like that's why and hard, that's why the government didn't understand it because they're like what the hell is this stuff yeah, yeah. You brainwashing know? The, the youth totally like yeah. you didn't you didn't understand it but so bottom line is in 95 jay convinced me to go to our first rave and i'll never forget it it was at um it was in downtown la at the grand olympic auditorium which isn't even there anymore. Yeah, I was just gonna say. But it, it was a big venue in LA, down like right, right, kind of by Staples Center zone, um, and uh, the production. I mean, it's just the lights and the whole production was like so gnarly. And I remember taking ecstasy with Jay, and just dude, this chick with a feather feather boa comes up and starts like doing her dance with the bow i'm like this is nuts dude and i was like right then i was like i'm going to another one yeah you know so this is a party it turned into like from 95 to like 97 or so we were going out a ton yeah. we were going wednesday nights in la to magic wednesdays and driving to like undergrounds all over the place and back then it was like legit like you know you get a phone number you get like a map spot and you're you know very underground oh. very like you're like finding these venues because they yeah. were just they were underground they weren't like permitted venues so it was just warehouses and just a bunch of different crazy locations yeah. um yeah they were pop-ups essentially yeah they were just they, called yeah. undergrounds yeah because they were underground like they weren't legit um but they were sure fun dude so 
we had a we had a really insane run and the same surf crew was we were all going together that's cool so we had a it was all your friends were there yeah. and you weren't being you know you're I guess sort of being reckless, but at the same time you're everybody respond. You're responsibly yeah. partying, you know, totally. having fun, but you know, you're, everyone's kind of looking out for each yeah. other, and it was great, dude. So I mean, yeah. So '95 ish is when I first started getting into dance music and fell in love with the rave scene. So you were dancing? Oh, we were dancing. We were, my head was in the speaker, and we were, so, we were. So did you have? We were just fans. Were you wearing the the the, the visor? Oh, with I, had the a, I had a pacifier in my mouth with star sunglasses and glitter on my body. Oh my I was gosh. all in, dude. There's, you got to find some photos. Oh, for there's us, there's some photos. There's a like, I know there's a photo out there with me with these Oshkosh railroad train overalls on. I mean, just like yeah. looking like a freak for wow. sure. But it was yeah. fun to dress up. I mean, that was part of the gig. Is like you know you're out having fun and you're expressing yourself, but you know you're not an outcast because everybody's looking the same or doing something similar. It was, you part, know? It was just part of the vibe. Part of the vibe. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. freaky it's, people. It's kind of funny that, you know, here you are, Orange County suburban kids, all of a sudden you get into hip-hop and this hip-hop leads into L.A. and raves and ecstasy. It, what's, what's crazy <laughs> is when we started doing our own shows, that was like kind of our, our differentiator yeah. was that we were from Orange County. We weren't just, you know, L.A. guys. We were... We brought a whole nother vibe to the scene and people were digging it. Like mm. the, the scene in Southern California, you know, when we started doing our show, we started a company called B3 Productions, B3 Candy, and uh, with an E, of course. Um, and we, uh, yeah, but I mean, that was... That so wait was, a minute. Yeah. You were going to these clubs, these underground clubs, and you, who who who, who decided this? Who who? Oh, who said let's start our own rave company or so production company or prom- promotional? My, myself and then two of my friends, that guy named Brett Ballou. I don't. You guys probably know Brett, um, who was downtown Huntington guy and friends with a lot of people that we all know. But Brett Blue and a guy named Brock Anderson. So the three of us, I sort of kind of got the train moving. That's the B three. That's the B yeah. three. Brett, Brian, and Brock. Um, so what happened was, I mean. You're like, why, why can't we throw one of these? Because they're underground and you can find, hey, all we have to do is find a venue. Like, what was your, your there, was a, there was a DJ that we wanted to see and he, he kind of swore off LA. His name was Frankie Bones, old school techno New York DJ. Yeah. And I forget what year, but in 94 or five, he got screwed in LA by a promoter. Flew in for a show, never got paid. He said, I'm never coming back to LA. So we're like, let's give, we got to get Frankie Bones. Like our yeah. motivation was to do a, 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 an event with Frankie. Hmm. So... Ultimately, what happened was I, my next door neighbor, I was living in Pacific Ranch, you know, Yorktown and Maine, yeah. with my mom and dad, you know, and. Uh, my Son, ne- why are you coming home my, at ten in the morning? My next door neighbor was this kind of like middle-aged Asian dude who was married, no kids, and I would like get weed for him and stuff, and he like he was doing it behind his wife's back, so we kind of had this bond, and like one night he's like one night he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to I'm gonna do a rave. He's like, what's that? And I kind of told him what it's all about. And he's like, well, how much money do you need? Wow. I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, I think I said like five or six grand or something. And he literally gave me five or six grand. What? Yeah. And. What, what was it? Like, what? what was his return? Can I, I just. Like, I, dude, it was the cool. I mean, like he got his money back, but there was no strings. He yeah. literally Hold was on. just. Hold on. He literally just said, go for it, Brian. I'm like, you're. I mean, it was that kind of thing. Hold on! Wow, yeah. you must have so, a good relationship with this dude. Yeah. Like, to, well, I was, yeah. you're hooking him up, but was, like that. What a cool dude! Hold on! Yeah, what a cool dude! Exactly. 
Am I missing something here? So you're you start this B three because you wanted to get this Joey whatever Frankie Bones. Frankie Bones. Sorry, yeah. Frankie Bones out of New York. Out of New, New York. York, and on a whim, this guy asked you what you want. My, my to neighbor, do. yeah, my, neighbor. my next door neighbor, literally. Who you're giving? Was, we were just smuggling uh, weed to him. Yeah, we'd go smoke together, and I'd give him like eights and stuff like that, and. You know, he was he didn't want his wife to know. Did you so. do that on the side? No, I was. I mean, I smoked weed, but I wasn't. Sl- I wasn't selling weed. Okay. Yeah, I would just. He would say, "Hey, can you get me an eighth? And I'd go get it from Timmy Henderson or someone. <laughs> um, no, you didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so wait a minute. And he gave you your first yeah. seed money. He gave us. He gave me the first chunk of money. Which, right away, what we did is we we gave. So five, wait. Yeah. Dude, he said, "What do you want?" What, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, this is pretty monumental, and I'm trying to make it monumental. Like this, he smokes weed with this guy, who's his neighbor yeah. at Pacific Ranch. Which it's not like super. I mean, it's nice, but that's like a, I don't know. It's like an okay condo complex, yeah, it's right? An okay complex. It and the cool. guy gives you how much? It was like I think it was six grand. He, he gave five, him six, six grand. Yeah, which for smoking weed with him. That's a lot of money at the time. Yes, that's still a lot of money now. It's a yeah. lot of money so, on a on on just a bro like, on something just, that you don't know if it's even gonna like. <laughs> and he wasn't doing it because he was trying to get a return. He yeah. literally was just being cool. What did the guy do for a living? I forget, man. I forget. I mean, I don't even know. It's I can't even remember his name. That's how long oh. ago it was. <laughs> you smoked yeah. too much weed, dude. Exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah. So that's sort so, of the 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 shot that we got. So I. I remember calling Brett and Brock saying I got the money. We immediately went on the, the hunt to, to make more money out of it. So we bought 100 pills of ecstasy. <laughs> and we literally spent two or three months slanging, like putting ourselves in really bad situations. Wow. But we like tripled it, you know, over yeah, like tripled a, the six. Yeah. Um, so we got enough money to put a venue deposit down, get Frankie Bones a deposit, hire a graphic designer. And start. How, how much was that? The first party to produce? Yeah. So the first party, we called it Good and Fruity because we were B3 Candy Productions. So we all these can, kind of candy theme names. So if I remember right, it, it was around $80,000 to produce the whole show. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, and we, wow. lost, we lost money on it, obviously. Yeah. Um, wow. But yeah, so we. What? Yeah. 80 Gs? About 80 Gs. Yeah. Eight, it might have been a little less. It? Yeah, we one way or the other, we yeah. pay for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we took a loss. It's, okay, you guys, it's a one night. No, this is a one day party. Yeah, it's a yeah. one day party that cost you eighty grand. Yeah, but dude, the party like that this day will cost you three hundred grand. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, but yeah. it yeah. cost you eighty grand. So how did you come? You put you deposit, triple. put your deposit down, and then you have to calculate how many tickets you have to sell. Were you guys bringing in like? Booze vendors, and you're gonna piece of like concessions no, no, or no, no, nothing. No, not not at that time because it's underground. This is just, his first party. Yeah, we weren't savvy enough. I mean, but yeah, t- typically now that I've been selling merch at this, era, yeah. <laughs> but but typically, what you would do now is yeah, you would get Hold a on. cut. You get but, cut of the F and B and the whole deal, but not then. We just, I'm just, we just got at, ticket sales. And yeah. that's so it. so you you distinctly you distinctly remember it cost you eighty grand, sixty or eighty. Okay, I, 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 yeah, it was around that number though. Yeah. How much did you bring in? I don't know, probably 30 or 40. Wow. Yeah, we were definitely upside down on it. And we were upside down for years. I mean, that's 
like any business, yeah, you don't kill it right away. It's very rare that you're like out of the gates making money. So. I know, but I don't understand how you even want to do it again. Because, because they're so involved. They're passionate about like they were already infused into that scene and they're like we're going to make it happen and, when you're driven you're going to make it we happen were, we weren't really there to we weren't thinking about making money we were we thinking about make... throwing a party yeah and having, having our friends there yeah and seeing <laughs> bring back a good old day seeing, what? Seeing, what? it wasn't it wasn't a money it wasn't making money at the was, time you're 20 i was 24 20 this year but dude 30 it cost 80 grand they brought in 30 yeah yeah like that's a huge loss. But then, and how we, do you get? How you get it is you find an, an investor with deep pockets, and that's what we did right after that. We got this guy Jeff Long. Did did they come sought after you guys, or yeah. you knew this guy? Well, yeah. we kind of knew him because of Jeff's brother Chris was sort of a raver. Yeah. Um, Jeff himself wasn't, but we got connected. I forget exactly who made the intro, but we got hooked up with this dude Jeff Long. Whose dad founded GT Bikes, G- oh, GT Dino. Yeah. Like, successful dude. Yeah. Had this huge spread in San Juan Capistrano, like acres upon acres, probably a 10,000 square foot house. Like, deep pockets. Yeah, deep pockets. And, and unfortunately, Jeff's dad, right, right at this time, his dad rode motorcycles and he got killed um, on his bike. So, all of a sudden, Jeff was now overseeing the family money, kind of was the man of the house. A lot of lot of weight on his shoulders. So you know he was looking for things to do with the family money, looking for different investment opportunities and whatnot. And we got the invite You're to like, his yeah, house. Yeah, man, bank on us. We're gonna double your money. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> and I forget even how we. I don't even think we try to sell him like. Yeah. You're gonna make this amount of return. It was more like we need this. Yeah, like your partner. We got something going here. We just yeah. did a killer event. We had four thousand people or three thousand, whatever it was. I think it was four. And uh, he kind of heard because we were—he was an Orange County guy too, so we kind of heard about it. And it was a rising know. like scene, and it was exciting. Like, yeah. dude, you're—you know—you're working with live entertainment. Yeah. There's a there's a there's so a, what so you you have your your three you know the three Bs, and then you bring in an investor. Like, how how do you divvy up like the cut at the end of the would, thing? Like, he got thirty percent. Okay, yeah, and then you guys would split up the exactly. other exactly. Yeah, yeah, we almost were like all getting six, somewhere six and a third. No, yeah, but um. What, like, what was your ask for? Hey, we're going to do this again. This is what the last event. We're going to go bigger and gnarlier or try to keep it the same. What was your next? Yeah. So the, so the next event after that was um, an event called Juju Beats, which was in the summer of 97. So our whole thing was, and it kind of happened organically, but we wanted to do one kind of indoor springtime show every year and then one summertime outdoor show. So we had a, we had a show in the, in the spring that was called How Sweet It Is, which happened after that first event. We sort of got rid of Good and Fruity because we didn't like the name anymore. Started doing a show called How Sweet It Is. But right after that first show was an event um, in 97, July of 97, called Juju Beats, which was at a, a 7,000-foot ski resort called Snowcrest up in the Angeles Crest Mountains, like way up Highway 2, 7,000 feet up. They have never did a show up there. They did like ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. The, the band? The band did, yeah. did an event up there. So they, they had a permit to do events, but they weren't really doing them. So I was able to get that venue. Um, it was, if I were taking a sort of a guess on the budget for that one, it was probably around that 80 grand number again. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe a little more. It's hard to say because I was, dude, those, 
that was a long time ago, so I don't yeah. remember the exact cost, but it was it yeah. was around that amount. Yeah, you know, so um, we got we, so we got Jeff to to commit to doing that with us as as our investor. He was getting thirty percent. We were getting the rest, um, and yeah, and and still lost money on that show, but that show was like. That kind of got Did us. Did he make to, his money back? No, he didn't make he didn't make his money back till ninety nine. So there was you know two years. Two years we were losing money. What were you doing for work? I was working at that initially. I was working at the macaroni grill, serving tables. Yeah, macaroni grill, baby, hustling. Thank you, yeah. late night. Thanks to our sponsor, Ashlyn. Woo! Delicious. Mm hmm. So yeah, I was. Thank I you, Ashlyn Hart Seltzer. Those are good. I was basically still serving tables for the first, you know, event or two. Okay. And then um, what? And then I actually started working with Jeff because Jeff opened up a record store called Higher Source. Higher it was Source. in Huntington. Yeah. On uh, yeah. um, basically Adams and Magnolia. Is it? Adams and Magnolia. So I start. I was getting us. I think fifteen hundred bucks a month from Where, Jeff. Where um, Polly's Pies is. That no, no, that's, no, that's more Brooker's. So. Oh, yeah. no. It's where Carl's, where Carl's Jr. is. It's on that side of the street. It's yeah. Irisai and, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that Got liquor store. That smart and Final. Smart and Final. Yeah, yeah it's, it was there. Um, so Jeff kind of you know, started getting more involved with the scene, did the record store, him and his brother Chris. And then, uh, yeah, Jeff put me on a really small salary um, at that time. So I basically went from serving tables, trying to bootstrap, you know the, the event the raves with what we were doing with b3 and then eventually jeff now those guys work there too still you still had b3 brett and um yeah brett they we all kind of did our own thing to like i think brett brock was valeting cars at the villanova um brett was working at claim jumper or something so we were just all hustling and then what were your guys jobs for like setting up the venue like what was your job what was brett what was brock like what did you yeah. guys tackle so i was i kind of ran point on all operations so from getting the venue booking security you know dealing with all the city officials you know i was kind of the the point person for you know everything that happened from a a stakeholder standpoint you know so whether it was did you go to college yep but not for that. And I, I dropped out of um, Cal State Long Beach because my senior year, our, our stuff was taken off. You so know? you were going to college? I was going to college. Yeah, I was going too. to college during all this too. When I went to junior college at first, Golden West College, and then transferred to Long Beach State. Um, so I was at Long Beach State during this as well when this was all happening. Um, you must have been the cool guy on campus. I was saying, Maddie, Maddie <laughs> Mullock had a couple of classes with me, a couple of communication that classes. Um, but yeah, so. You know, it's sort of just like anyone during that time, kind of trying to find, you know, my space in life and what I'm going to be doing. And I just really loved producing shows. Like it was, yeah, it was awesome. Like I felt. So, how did the how did the B three split out like that? Like did mm. did you well, guys? Man, so, so I would handle kind of those operational yeah, aspects. Yeah. Brett would focus more on talent. So he was kind of working with all the artists, you know, dealing with all the managers and kind of building those relationships, which is, there's a lot to do there. Yeah. And then Brock was overseeing the, the street promotions because back then it was about passing out flyers. Yeah. That's what it was. Obviously there was no, I mean, there was internet, no internet popping up, yeah. you know, in the late nineties and, and we were early on that too. Um, but it was about printing hundreds of thousands of flyers and going out five nights a week. And we split that up though, because there was, 
that was something we took a lot of pride in is we would hand out our own flyers and talk to people. Yeah. Hey, we're doing this party. And it was a real like one on one. Self-promoting. Yeah. Like, yeah. So That's was, the hardest form you, of marketing right it there. Was, like, but, hey, we're, we're the peeps. Like, we're doing this. This yeah, is the, me. And this is these guys. There was, a, I mean, this, there was a, you know, a six month promotional strategy. Started with a teaser flyer and then a sticker. And then a, a then a, a flyer that announced some talent, and then you come out with a booklet, and then a main flyer, and then a poster, you know. So it's just whole ramp up. So by the time the show comes around, you can't deny it. Like there's there's so, been a, like three hundred thousand pieces of flyers passed out in Southern California. So backtrack here. The first show was with what the fuck's that guy's name? Frankie Bones. Frankie Bones. How yeah. was it? Like it was insane. You had four thousand yeah. people. You lost money though. Lost money, but we had so it was Huge like hype. it was two stages. We had one stage that was kind of more the harder progressive stage, which was Christopher Lawrence, Frankie Bones, Thomas Michael, like a lot of kind of LA and somewhat well known DJs. And then we had a house stage on the other side. We actually split a room in two with a sound curtain. So one side one side of the stage was kind of you know harder music, and the other side was house. This guy John Howard and. Um, some other DJs. So we sort of had like 10 DJs in total for that first event um, and split a room in half to have two stages, which obviously wasn't ideal because there was a lot of sound bleed. Yeah. But we were, you know, it was our first show. We were yeah. doing what we had to do. Did um, you guys like figure out like what budget, like security is going to cost this much? You know, these DJs, I mean, you're working out negotiating like, okay, like, like how? Yeah. And that's you know. something I was, I was, I was. He learned care, a lot from that first one. Was taking care of the budgeting and doing all that too, and was kind of the one signing the checks and responsible yeah. for all the account payables and whatnot. So, did you get like legitimate and had a business license? And- later, later we did. In '99, we did. Yeah, we kind of did B3 Inc. You know, but but for two years we were just there was no bank account. There was we were just running you know a lot of cash and yeah you know running underground and. You know, that's, you, you're able to pull that off at the time. Yeah. You can't really get a business license when you're uh, turning um, 100 e-pills a day. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. We, that was that was just to get the party started. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, that'll get the party started, all right. <laughs> yeah, we, we had these uh, Nikes. They yeah. had a little Nike symbol on them. <laughs> Superman, you know, there was a bunch of, yeah. You guys know more that. I don't know anything yeah. about that. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. So, so boom. Your second event, second. So the second event was crazy because there was this. Is this the ELO one? Th- this is that. that yeah, okay. that Snowcrest. That was down. your second one. Our second one, and we got so for the second one, we got on the radar of this promoter um, called Pasquale Rotella. He had a company called Insomniac. Still does. He's one of the biggest promoters in the world today. Like Electric Daisy Carnival and all these huge events. That's that's those are his shows. He's he's owned by Live Nation now as well. But bottom line is. He tried to take us out. So uh, in that 97 show, he ran a show against us called Willy Wonka. Mm. So it was basically this gnarly battle that unfolded with B3 and Insomniac. And we were typically what you do is you don't run on the same date. It's like yeah. You, yeah. you and, and there's dialogue that happens and you're calling promoters saying, hey, I'm looking to do July 26. Okay, I'll stay away from that date. And yeah. you kind of coordinate. Yeah. Well, Pasquale said, I'm taking these guys out. Wow! So we launched this event. We were tripping. We're like, "Oh, dude!" Uh-oh. Like he was a he was a big deal. Yeah. Like, Insomniac yeah. was already doing you know fifteen thousand person shows, and he was the big dog in and this town. This is your second. This event. This is our second event, and he tried to take us out. So it got real gnarly. I mean, literally, 
promoting in LA. Brett's up there at this club and socks past swole in the nose and he's throwing away our flyers. We're throwing away his flyers. We have our, our crews that are like, you know, getting mad at each other. And wow. it was gnarly. Like it was a full blown battle. And then so July 26 rolls around. We both have our events. We do like four or 5,000 people. He does about the same. And he realized like, okay, these guys are kind of here. They held their own. Yeah. Like you didn't. I didn't didn't, put them out. Yeah. You didn't beat us, buddy. He he put a dent in you, but yeah. And it kind of like created an interesting dynamic where there was like this divide in the rivalry business. Yeah. West, like, you know, like. Totally. So that, that went on for a good year or two years. And then ultimately we sort of came together. You know, because we realized there, it was better to work together than, than try to fight each other. Yeah. So, I mean, the scene, you know, became huge, you know, not too long after that. Um, where, you know, our shows, his shows, this guy Reza, who was doing big events, we were all doing big numbers. Yeah. You know, 15, 30,000. It got, it got big in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was he, he, Pasquale really tried to get us out of the scene. Crazy, um, and we've just kind of stood our ground and battled. We battled for that date. And and how was that going after like talent? Because obviously you knew guys that had pull, guys that were good. Was he going yeah. like, hey, I'm going to throw more money at this DJ where you guys had him locked, and then he stole like talent, all that? I got there was battles for sure. There was this company called AM Only. This guy Paul Morris, who he's still kind of a big deal in the industry. Yeah, but he had all the DJs we wanted. Um, so we developed a really good rapport with Paul. Yeah. Um, and Paul had to deal with all the promoters and he didn't want to piss off Pasquale. Uh, but he, he actually worked with us and he gave us talent that we needed and we had a good lineup. Yeah. And luckily Paul... Because he's probably looking at it as a business investment too. Like I can't give either one of these guys everybody because one's going to go out maybe or, you know, like totally. he's got to protect himself. Yeah. And he, you know, obviously our money is real as Pasquale's, yeah. you know, so, <laughs> you know, we're giving you, a, we're giving you the same kind of money. It's green and it's going to get cashed. Um, so yeah, we, so after that battle in 97, it sort of like gave us more momentum, you know, and, and my whole thing personally was finding venues. Like I was, <clears throat> if you could find a new venue, that was like the golden ticket. Hmm. So after 97, I found the sickest venue in the world to do a show, which was Santa's Village up in the San Bernardino Mountains, which was like this Santa Christmas-themed amusement park. You know, I don't know if you guys ever went to it, but there would be people. There would be commercials. That's a place where you would like... 20-foot high candy canes and mushroom houses. And (laughs) it was like... Yeah. It was like... Perfect for that kind of trip. Beyond perfect. Yeah. Um, So for Jujubee's 98, we actually got that venue. We were the first people to ever do a show there and the only ones to do a show there. And that sort of set us apart. Like getting sort of unique venues that haven't been used before was kind of the secret sauce. Um, as well as what a getting, trip. Good, yeah, but that was venue is a big important venue was a big driver. Yeah. If you could like promote, I got a virgin venue. It was a virgin locations were a huge selling point. Wow, and there was and they were hard to get. They were hard to get. So permit wise, you know, like because of permit I mean, wise, and dude, we're doing. I mean, our shows were all ages. Yeah, you yeah. know, we weren't selling alcohol. That was our that was our saving grace. It was, yeah. and that's kind of what I always led with. And there's no alcohol here. Yeah, you know, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, even though everyone's like tripping on, you know, hallucinogens, but yeah. there's no alcohol. Yeah. What's a trip yeah. is is how far people will go for a party like that. Oh, man, it was a full adventure. And yeah. think about it. You're, you know, not so much today, even though there are parties that go all night. But these these parties would start at 9 o'clock at night and end at 9 in the morning. Yeah. That's what it was. 
They were they were all night raves. Like that's the all night aspect was synonymous with a rave. Like that was kind of part of the deal. Yeah. Um, they had to go all night. Like you're dancing at six, seven in the morning, and you know it's just that's how it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we after that '97 GGB show, we had a lot of momentum. Kept getting good venues and good talent. Still focusing on the two events. Yeah, we a year. Do, yeah, we are, are one indoor, one outdoor. Yeah, we had how sweet it is, which started in '98, but that was our kind of springtime event. You know, it was like butterflies and the whole deal, and we do these stages with you know, green plants and a lot of foliage and just really kind of beautiful, you know, green organic kind of stages. Yeah. And then the summertime was like the B, we had this Juju B and it was like just the summertime vibe, more outdoor, you know, you're kind of like dancing under the stars and, and you know, not so much a camping event, but that wasn't really, you know, in play. You know, you could bring your tent and stuff, but it wasn't like how it is now where there's like official camping. Yeah. Um, it was just all night. Um, so yeah, so we, just started getting hype and you know growing the shows and then 99 we did how sweet it is at the orange show in san Bernardino, which is this big kind of compound that's still there still doing raves there to this day um but yeah we did the national orange show in san Bernardino, and we got you know i forget exactly what we brought in but we made enough money to pay back jeff his initial you know chunk so we kind of got square and then me brett and brock split like i don't know 10 grand each or something like that um, maybe a little more, and we were like, "Oh shit, we made money!" Wow. You know, and, it was, and this was which after event? a couple that was, years. That was in 1999. At how sweet it is! That was the first time we kind of turned the corner. Yeah, you but know, we had about 12. event number three, four. That was our. If you're doing two a year, that's like five. Yeah, six. that was like our fifth event yeah. in. But I kind of skipped one event. So in '97, we had this chance to get involved with this legendary show called Narnia, and Narnia was like this just had this mystique about it. This guy, Nick Luckenbill, started this thing called Narnia. And when we were raving in the, you know, mid-90s, it was like, the sh- it was the best show. Like, yeah. everyone knew Narnia was like the next level. Of so like, Narnia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but, it, but we got we got to co-produce that show in 97 at Snow Summit because we brought Jeff Long in to be the investor. So it was like a B3 and, and Global Underground present Narnia, which really helped solidify mm-hmm. what we were doing, which helped our Marketing, battle with Juju yeah. Beats, you know, in Pasquale, because now we had kind of this Global Underground Narnia connection. Um, so it just kind of helped fend off what Pasquale was trying to do to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was that 97 venture that we did with uh, Narnia was a really good thing for B3, sort of helped solidify what we were doing. And, uh, you know, 98, we were sort of the first kind of first movers on, you know, going online. You know, that was sort of right when the internet was popping and this this website came up called raveworld.net and it um, this guy Mark Lacey started it. Were you pissed he didn't start it? Well, I, I <laughs> B, B3 ended up selling to Raveworld. That's like a whole another story. Oh, wow. but, but ultimately in 98, we started working with Raveworld to kind of help, you yeah. know, bolster what we were doing from a promotional standpoint and... Dude, we were doing some cool stuff at Rave World. We were doing this thing with Microsoft because at the time, to play media, you had to have either a real player or a Windows media player. Yep. So there's this battle for content between real networks that had their real player and Microsoft that had the Windows media player. So we were doing original content, you know, putting out DJ mixes and all this stuff through Rave World. But I kind of came in there to drive all that. So I was sort of the second employee on at Rave World. 
um, got equity in the company. Eventually, they bought B3 as well. So we were we were working as a as one unit with Rave World, and then dude, the dot com bubble crashed the whole thing. We're, um, we're sorry to interrupt, but yeah. were you at that time? Were you guys bringing in any sponsors at all during like these events to help? cover costs so you 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 had your own seed money your own you know finance you had ticket sales but you know were you working with it was different vendors it was two underground two underground yeah so i mean it'd be like kappa yeah remember kappa the clothing company like they'd give us a minimal amount of money and some gear and red bull you know would sponsor but it was just product basically there wasn't the sponsorship dollars like they are today um it started changing a little bit when when the rave world dynamic came in because we sort of you know, kind of make these bigger packages. We'll mm-hmm. give you like a screensaver and, you know, a booth at the show and like sort of package up these deals. Yeah. And we, we did some deals like um, with US, USA Films. Well, I'm forgetting the name of that movie. Um, Vin Diesel was in it. His first movie, Pitch Black. Yeah, Pitch Black was this Vin Diesel movie back in the day and they, they like sponsored what we were doing and we did this Pitch Black tour, huh. you know, with Vin Diesel and USA wow. Films. So that was, and then, Sony PlayStation was a sponsor, but it was that all kind of was more through the rave world side, not so much like the live event sponsorships. Yeah, you know that was sort of untouchable for a lot of brands. Like it just was too hardcore. Yeah, they didn't want to be associated with that. But no. I just figured, you know, there might have been, you know, some angles with with drinks or like you know music, like you said, the the Microsoft and the real time, you know, like if people are interested and they, you know, they're selling software. I mean, that could go anywhere, you know, like who knows? Yeah. yeah. We, as I said, it, the sponsorships kind of came into play when, when we were on the rave world, you know, tip, but not so much on just the event side. So yeah, we, so, we'd so have a lot rave of vendors. World, like you said, rave world bought B3. Yeah. So in 99, we did a transaction where they ended up buying us. So like Brent worked there, brought, we all worked there. It was, uh, um, off Big Parkway, we had an office kind of by the Irvine Spectrum, mm. and uh, we were poised to sell to Yahoo. Like we, were, wow. we had a twenty-four million dollar offer from Yahoo, and the the founder Mark Lacey, who was the controlling shareholder, was getting some bad advice, and he was told to wait. He said, "Wait, I'm going to get you thirty-two million," and what? the whole thing disappeared in a matter of weeks. No, yeah, yeah we were we were weeks way. away from. Being rich, but okay. from having a million, because yeah, I would have had about a million dollars at that time, Holy which would have been smoke. ridiculous. But when you say they bought you, did you get anything from that? We got equity. Mm. Yeah, we didn't get a, it. Wasn't a cash transaction. It was for stock in the company. And, and you, you, and we thought, you still were employed, in, and then driving sales to where that business would have been. Yeah, and, I mean, they. So. I mean, I was on salary, you know, health insurance, the whole deal through there, but. It, it was the transaction was based off of selling Rave World, and then we'd all benefit. What? And, um, uh, we sorry, Yahoo was gonna buy it. Yeah, this guy Tony Alfaro, um, who I still talk with today, was facilitating the deal, and uh, yeah, it, it exploded right in front of us, <sighs> just like a lot of companies that you know we were the you typical dot com ton well, of eyeballs, but no revenue. Well, Yahoo was the the pinnacle of like early internet you yeah. know like and and i mean where, Google, where, well, where they made all their money is all this proprietary like software like stuff like you know they have they own hundreds if not thousands of patents yeah. on the internet every other person has to pay a license a license to you it's crazy but how going back to like financing these you know events 
what did the ticket price what was the ticket price from like yeah early days early days to like when you did it change yeah I mean, believe it, like i would remember clearly like, we start out at like 15 dollars uh-huh and so we do these tiers yeah so priest and we sold them at retail stores that was the distribution model we would, and that was part of what brock did as well but we literally print tickets with like security stuff on them with glitter and raised lettering and the whole deal and you know made them they were as, as foolproof as we could yeah there's still a lot of counterfeiting going on but we we print you know ten thousand tickets let's say the, there'd be a batch at 15 bucks there'd be another rung that was at 20 and then at the door as like you got 30. closer yeah. it just kept increasing because you're promoting six months out yeah and then if you walk up it's like 30 bucks so it's like basically double what it would be but it was still a cheap ticket i mean yeah. it was a and were you getting updates like, okay, hey, like the, say you just launched this events in six months and the first month you're like, hey, we sold a few hundred or a few thousand. Like you're, you're starting to gauge, yeah. you know, early on like how many pre-sales you're getting, keeping track of it all. You, you pretty much knew what was going to happen, you know, three months out just by the sell-throughs and, yeah. you know, if you had to go and drop more tickets off or what. Did yeah. you have to, have to like deny because the venue was too full? Like, you know, like if you say, hey... We, you know, we sold that at four, or we, we, we sold 4,000 tickets, the venue held 10, oh, you know, oh, or, yeah. you know, we sold 10, the venue held six. Yeah. We didn't really turn people away. We, <laughs> we, stu- we, we stuffed them in. Then Why would you? 99. Hey, we need another 10 over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, a 99. Because is there, like, are they really monitoring it? Like, would the cops show up and like, hey, you got enough security? Like, kind we, of, but... We, we So we had our own security company that we didn't own, but we but, worked with the same company and they were doing clickers, but they worked for us. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of flexibility there yeah. in terms of like, hey, Brian, we got X amount at the door and, you know, like... And that's what I did, like, during the events. Like, I was working with security, working with the, you know, police, working with fire and, yeah. you know, kind of being the responsible promoter on site that could deal with stuff as it arose. And yeah. there was a lot of stuff like we'd be transporting, you know, kids that took too many drugs or whatever it might be. And that was just part of the deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a lot of times we would sort of push the envelope in terms of capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 15, it would get close to 30 or it would be 30, you know, at the door. Yeah. 30. So 15 for the early yeah. ticket and then about 30 at the door. Yeah. And then, you know, in, in the 2000s, when the scene sort of blew up, the tickets got a little more expensive. But but you're also getting probably a better experience, a better venue, and like more unique, like everything. Yeah, bigger, like more talent. Better talent. You know, better talent, yeah. yeah. So the, the ticket price would justify the, you know, the, the show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, $15 ticket, you don't you don't see that very often these days Yeah. for, for an event. You uh, can't even park at an event yeah, for 15 Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Parking's 15 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's freaking nuts. Yeah. So what happened after that? The 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 deal didn't go through. It didn't get bought. Yeah. So basically, we had a pretty gnarly fallout where we ended up buying our company back. Like when we had to go through a legal process, and you know, got pretty sour between myself and Mark Lacey, and and it it was ugly how it yeah. unwound. But we ended up buying our company back from them for I forget the amount of money, but. Enough, where, because, enough where it hurt. It was like 30 grand or something. Yeah. Yeah, because you sold it to him for equity, which is totally. I mean, which we, is a big, made up number. Big risk, big reward. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, we were, we were trying to get the upside of it. and But yeah, the, so that, that didn't work out too well. But then, so we got our company back ultimately. And then, so right around 2000, we were working with another investor 
this guy Artie Parent, and um, sort of just left that in the in the rearview mirror, you know, and said, okay, like let's let's keep it moving with B three, and you know that transaction didn't work out, and we still you had the name, you, you knew the yeah, yeah. The, we were still on good the, footing with with the scene, yeah, we didn't we didn't burn any bridges, you know, all of our and shows. At this were, point, how many of uh, events have you thrown? So. That was probably right around eight, I'd say, right around that time, yeah. like 99. Did it feel like it got easier and you were like more uh, confident in what you were doing and you know what I mean? How to save costs, how to like, you know, run it, run it more profitable. Like, you know, you know how to cut, not cut corners, yeah. but how to eliminate mistakes. Yeah. I mean, dude, I didn't, I didn't go to school to produce a show. I did it, you know, yeah. in, in 97 from scratch. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Like you start, you know improving on mistakes you made yeah start running a tighter ship and yeah. you know trying to work towards profitability and, and being more of a viable business and not just a cool idea you know so we and we we did do that we started with jeff long's help you know we started becoming got incorporated you know became more legit started making a little bit of money and then uh and then in 2000 the scene went gangbusters i mean it, it just jumped the show y2k Dude, it was crazy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that I think that era was not not just in you know the entertainment, but like the music vibe, grunge and hip hop, and you know the, I feel like that time was all timing for like what was happening. Like it came out of ground. It got kind of like legit. Drugs were pretty you know relevant in that era of time with that music vibe it, it was just a perfect mix of fun yeah and there was no there was no denying the fact that people were there partying yeah, yeah. And it wasn't you couldn't really hide that for too long but i did have to play the game and i was getting venues yeah. i never would say it's a rave yeah it's a music festival with for ven sure. vendors and we're you know you're you downplaying you, it the you whole couldn't time. say you could never say rave no because that was taboo yeah um so you just had to kind of play the game and you know, half the battle was more than half the battle was finding a venue that was suitable that for would, that big of a crowd. Yeah, and and that, you know, was something kind of unique and different. But it was, and there was other promoters trying to get venues. Yeah, so it was, it was a battle. It's probably more and more promoters that you had to compete with, right? A few, a few more came up, but the, it was mainly Insomniac, um, B three. There was this guy Reza who who basically was doing big shows, and this guy Milo. So there was like four promoters that were doing, the you know, the, the fifteen thousand person events. Wow. Um, and there there was a lot of underground like promoters that were doing smaller shows, but the massives, you know, that there was that crew right there, like four of us. And, and did you guys? Yeah, speaking of that, did you guys have? Like this territory kind of on lock, meaning like there was not really room because I'm assuming what's happening here in LA, Orange County, Southern California, whether you're pulling from, you know, San Bernardino, San Diego to wherever. Yeah. That's got to be happening in other states and East Coast and everything else. And was there a battle or, or a thought of jumping out of this zone? We, we did a little bit of like we did a show in Connecticut in 98 wow. and little little bit here and there. Like we'd always go to Every March in Miami, there's this thing called the Winter Music Conference, um, WMC, and we do shows there, you know. But primarily, we are Southern California focused. Yeah. You, didn't, mean, you know, why, why leave? You didn't mean, have we, to. Southern yeah. California had the biggest scene, as well as Montreal. They had wow. five one four had about the same numbers that we were doing, 
Um, but but as far as in North America, like the biggest events, like rave events, were happening in Southern California mm -hmm. um, and Montreal. And what kind of what kind of like like uh, like what was the biggest like draw you guys? Well, so I mean, sort of a tragic story on some levels. But in '99, well, I got there's a there's a deeper story here. So in '99, yeah. you guys ever been to Coachella? Yeah. Okay. So the Polo Fields where Coachella does their event, I had that venue in 1999 for Juju Beats. Paul Tillet just did a show there, the first Coachella, essentially, but I was working with the owner there to try to get it for our summertime show in 99, and I had it. I had a contract drafted, the whole deal. The, the dude went to Paul, the owner of the venue, said, hey, Paul, I'm gonna, I wanna do this show with Brian. You know, we're gonna do Juju Beats here, and Paul's like, no, you're not. Wow, you know, like, the, that's insomnia? No, that was um, Golden Voice, the guys who the guys who do Coachella, Paul Tillet from Golden Voice, and Golden Voice was a really big promoter in LA already. They did all, all the all venues. the rock shows. Yeah. They were do Chili. Like, they were way bigger than we were. They were a big deal. Chili Peppers. They were doing like all the K Rock shows were mm -hmm. from Golden Voice. They were they were legit. Like way they were bigger than Insomniac and and all of us really. Um, so so you you so I. Secured, secured the polo it, fields. Secured it for ninety. Oh, thought I secured it for ninety nine. And you would have been the first Coachella. We would have been the first rave there. Coachella already happened that year. Okay, like ninety nine was the first year. Which is a music festival. Yeah. Okay, but it wasn't including your type of venue. No, they never. They never had a rave ever. Band, ever at Coachella it was. You know, hip hop, DJ. You know, like. I think before Coachella, Paul and Golden Voice did a Chili Pepper show hmm. at the Polo Fields. Before Coachella happened, then you did Coachella, '99, I believe, and and I got the venue shortly after that to do our show to different do different time, different, yeah, different summer, part of summertime, and which would have been brutal anyway out there. Uh, but so what happened was Paul called the meeting at his office in L.A. said Brian, let's come up and talk about this. So I go up there. It was just me, not not Brett or Brock. I went up to his office and get in his office, and Pasquale steps out, oh. and I'm like. Whoa! Hold on a second. You know who Golden Voice is at this time, absolutely. And and the dude that you pulled from Polo Fields, he told you that he told he told Paul. He Tillet, told Paul, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this event, you know." And was kind of getting yeah. a blessing, yeah, because Paul was already he's been investing money into the venue with his own shows. And there's a thing with promoters where if you crack a venue. The last thing you want is some other promoter coming in there and right. fucking it up. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. a real threat and it's real. So I You understand. I understood that. where he's coming from and my hope was like we work together. Like, okay, yeah. well let's let's join forces and do a B three show together. Yeah. Well, that was wishful thinking. He he basically said, Hey Brian, you're not doing your show there. I'm gonna do a show with Pasquale called Nocturnal Wonderland and you're done. You're not doing an event there. I'm like this is crazy. Like I was livid. Like I was looking at Pasquale going, fuck you, Pasquale. You're yeah. fucking us again. Yeah. You know, and we kind of already, you know, from that initial 97 beef, we sort of cleared it up by then, but then it just kind of got rehashed because he reared its ugly head. Yeah. He's like part. So he partners with Paul Tillet and they do nocturnal wonderland there in 99. So I have to find another venue for Juju beats 99. So I go back to where we did it the first time at Snowcrest in, in the Angeles crest mountains. It's about a, 
you can maybe do 6,000 people there legally. Yeah. We crammed 9,000 people in there. Dang. And we, we got voted party of the year. It Like, it, there's this magazine called Herb, U-R-B, at the time. Yeah, and it I was remember that magazine. Sort of the Bible for, like, hip-hop and dance music. Yeah. And Juju Beast 99 got voted party of the year, tying with Coachella. But that year, we had five kids leave our party early, and they drove off the cliff and all died. Oh, my god! Like, tragic accident. That was the catalyst for this media frenzy. Mm. So after our show in '99, and there and was you just hit like like this know, the peak. Like we peaked it, and then all of a sudden it's like we have this tragic accident. The media starts going crazy. There's there's another situation in New Orleans where this promoter Disco Donnie had someone die at the State Palace Theater. So there's all this craziness going on in the rave scene, and and. We sort of got targeted in Southern California, and Donnie got targeted, you know, in in New Orleans, basically. Yeah. But but what it did in this perverse way is it made the scene blow up. Yeah. Because on Fox News, you, you, you just got you got like, instant like free publicity. People good or bad, it's, it's totally. free publicity. Good got, or bad, you got like yeah. warning kids not to go to a rave because it's it's wild. What are they going to yeah, do? That's putting fire. It's wild. I'm yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, putting fuel on the fire. Let's go. Like, yeah. So, so 99, our next show after that was How Sweet It Is 2000. So we have, you know, summer of 99, where we do that show that gets party of the year, tragic accident, media goes crazy, planning for our next show, which was How Sweet It Is in March of 2000, and we sold over 30,000 tickets. What? We, we, Holy. We murdered it. From 30. And this is after the, the buyout that went. Yeah, this so South. this was after we got our company back. Okay. Right. So we had a full equity in our company. It was Brett, Brian, and Brock. It was we had an investor that was getting thirty percent. Yeah. That was just the deal we had to cut. Um, but we all made a small six figure sum that night in cash. Wow. Like never got reported. IRS, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we literally just I mean it was all a cash business then. Yeah. Uh, thirty thousand so People. Yeah, we had sold like almost 31,000 tickets or something crazy. This was what again? This was how sweet it is in March of 2000. So we broke we broke all attendance what, sir, records. What, hold on. What, where did you go, surf trip? I, I got to ask. We got to bring me, surfing me, into me, this. Me and Brett went to Tavarua, and then we went to Chopu. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. You hear that, folks? We're That's on, what you do. We're on the island with Mike Doyle. Cash. Legend. Yeah. Mike Doyle? But here's the crazy part. So September, like 9-11, yeah. we were on Tavarua. Oh, my gosh. Like we were literally, we were stuck on Tabby. Yeah, that were our, September. Yeah, that was our big trip. Like that, we like me and Brett kind of said, "This is what we're doing." Um, but yeah, we were like stuck on Tabby for another extra week because no planes could get in or out. And what a bummer! Yeah, it was a bummer place to be stuck. Not, but it was it was awesome. So we did yeah. that. We did that trip, um, and then just basically sat on the cash and you, like lived off of it. Yeah, you know, kind of kept it out of the bank. Yeah, deposit box. You know. Never open up an account with it. No. And just lay low. Yeah. Um, and then so we broke attendance. That was that the, was way more than seven years ago, so it's all good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was the biggest show in North America at the time. And then so what happened was after those numbers. Where, where was the venue? The, at, the, at the National Orange Show in San Bernardino. It's called the NOS. Wow. National Orange Show Event Center. And, and 30,000 plus. 30,000. 30, we had like four different buildings and it was it was massive. How was the planning for that? Just nuts. It was nuts. Like it whatever. Was, it was what, awesome. You you already knew what to do. You At just had point, to times it by yeah, like four. Exactly. It's like more security, 
bigger, you know, bigger space outdoor. Yeah. You know, this ramped up our staff. Was it was it tough after having some of the, those accidents, like getting insured? Like how how yeah, yeah you know yeah. Like I mean that's because I mean extra precautions, extra this, extra scrutiny, more cost. You know, insurance like, costs went up big for sure. Yeah, um, the media attention drove those up anyway. Without our own personal situation, but since we had a claim on our policy, yeah, it was hard to get insurance, and yeah, we probably were paying double what we were before that. Um, but what the crazy thing was, so we were kind of the first crew to break that code of over 30,000. The next show after that, like Pasquale's shows and Reza's, they all were doing those numbers. Wow. So the whole scene just tripled, basically. Yeah. Um, our next big event, um, we did, we like broke other like another record for attendance after that. So we had like two really good years, 2000, 2001, and then the whole thing imploded. A guy named Joe Biden... Joe Biden introduced this thing called the Rave Act in Congress, and the Rave Act was Joe Biden. Joe Biden was his act. He he's the one that authored the bill. Yeah, and it was the Rave Act, which was an extension of this thing called the Crack House Law. And when, when there's a crack epidemic, if you rented your house to a known crack dealer, you had the same liability as a crack dealer. So they said if you own a venue and you rent your venue to a rave promoter, you have all the liability as the promoter. So that it was this reworking of the crack house law um, that became the Rave Act. So I couldn't get venues anymore. I, I basically in in, in the the Juju Beats in two thousand we were able to do successfully. In two thousand one, I started getting basically kicked out of venues. I'd I'd go and do what you I already always had did. locked out of venue contracted. Yeah. I would start getting the prepare the property, and then all of a sudden, don't know how. But DEA would come in, local sheriffs would come in, and they would put so much pressure on the event owner, they would pull out. So that happened a couple of times. We had to refund tickets. It started getting really tough. So my last attempt was I went to an Indian reservation in 2002. Went to a reservation, sovereign land. They don't have to answer to any government authorities. They can do whatever they want. And I was able to do a deal with this tribe called the Torres Martinez tribe. Started preparing the land. It was way out in India, like... 30 miles inland of India, like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and lo and behold, you know, about three months before the show, the tribe says, Brian, we can't do this. What? We're getting so much pressure from Riverside County sheriffs. We're getting hit up by the DEA and we're pulling out. Oh, I was like, wow. God. If the reservations aren't doing shows, I'm, I can't do shows anymore. Yeah. So so that was the final writing on the wall for me. And and. Fortunately, at that same time, this girl that I met, Jerry Yoshizu, who worked at Toyota. Um, so wait, the B3 thing was going to come to an end. B3 How long ended. did it last? Well, you couldn't get yeah, it. I mean, it basically lasted from 97 to 2002. and 2000, Five years. 2002 was the last attempt. And then it just, from there, we just couldn't do, we couldn't get venues, yeah. period. You know, there was just too much pressure from the government. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to vote for Biden because of you. Know, yeah, I don't really. Yeah, you just really put yeah, the nail so on the coffin exactly. right there, bro. It's a tough one because I can't support that guy. Yeah. I mean, he, he really did me wrong. Um, and then the guy in New Orleans, Donnie, he actually got prosecuted. He had a venue called the State Palace Theater. And the, the government, like, took him to court. And, like, he had to fight, you know, in court to, like, get off from these charges. We never got that far. But I, if you would have moved forward and found a spot, they probably would have found a way. I was being watched. They knew every move I was doing. You know, I don't know if I was had my phones tapped or what, but they knew they were one step ahead of me everywhere I went. 
heavy. That was gnarly. So, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, we already had to refund two shows, which is just a huge hit on your reputation. Yeah. So after having to refund tickets and canceling two shows, it was like sort of soured the brand. And yeah. you know, we just, and, and you really couldn't do raves anymore the way they were supposed to be done in our mind, which yeah. was all night. All yeah, you're not going to go backwards. You're not going to go back to some warehouse and some or, underground. Or or do a Pasquale, which was pivot to just do daytime shows mm. and do 3,000 people and just kind of stay alive. He was smart to pivot because what he did is he didn't, he didn't try to push it where we were. We were like, nope, it's got to be all night, got to be all ages. He said, I'll go 18 and over, and I'll end at 8 o'clock at night. So he was doing his shows, losing money, but he stayed in the scene, and yeah. he stayed relevant where, where we kind of just threw in the towel. Because yeah. we thought it had to be a certain way. Yeah, yeah. all where, or nothing. Yeah, where it really didn't. It was just us being stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, that's the way you envision it, and that's the way you want to, you know, run your business for better or for worse. That I mean... Exactly. So, yeah, B3... But it opened up other doors for you at that time, you know? Yeah, it really did. And that's sort of where I was able to pivot and kind of start my next leg of my career, which was doing the uh, marketing agency and really was built on Scion, the Scion brand that Toyota brought to market. You, um, you mentioned the girl's name from yeah, Toyota. Yeah, Jerry Oshizu. She was working at this this incubator at Toyota called the Genesis Group. And the Genesis Group was in charge to bring Scion to North America. And Scion was technically or visually in, in marketing was supposed to be the new generation of youth. Like yeah, Toyota, they, like the they, cool, hip, you know, their goal teenage, was Their goal was have the, young, the youngest automotive buyer. Yeah. That was their goal. And they accomplished it. Mm-hmm. You know, back in, the, back in that day, it was a lot of like, tuning going on with cars yeah. there's like import tuning shows and all this stuff and sign was sort of built around that like yeah. customization and yeah you know a lot of aftermarket you know products for it uh, almost kind of had the same kind of culture as raves absolutely right? the, and so the, Jer- jerry and at that show in 2000 that big one that we did she brought the car over from japan at that time it was called the bb it was the boxy xb mm. so she brought that over and we literally just parked the car in the middle of the show and she was doing handwriting, like, what do you think? Like, answer, like, these questions. Like, what do you think of the car? And just some real raw sort of test market stuff, um, which so was... So you guys introduced the, the car at a rave. Yeah. At like one just of your raves. wasn't called Toyota. It wasn't Scion. It was just this car. square car. Like, yeah. what do you think about this car? Yeah. And that was part of what she was doing at Genesis Group, was gathering... In real, the, like, street feedback on what, what the people... demographic think. that they're going after. Exactly. So... So what that ended up turning into, um, there was about a year or two where I was, I basically went on and produced this import car show series called Import Revolution. When B3 finished, I took a job essentially producing a 15-city tour of car shows. There was a show called Hot Import Nights, which was a big import car show, and they had a, a sister show called Import Revolution. So I produced that for about a year, year and a half. How did you get hooked up with them? Dude. Through when I was doing my, my raves, this guy Mike Minar was part of that crew and he sort of brought me into the fold and said, Hey, Brian knows how to do events and connected dude and kind of gave me the uh, opportunity. It wasn't a great one, but it was cool. And yeah, I mean, I was able Stepping to. Stepping stone. Yeah. yeah. And then Jerry sort of said, Hey, um, well, actually, what Jerry did is I introduced her to this to this guy named Raymond Roker. And Raymond was the guy that founded Herb Magazine and sort of a legend in the scene. And I said, hey, Jerry, work with Raymond. The guy, you know, knows what he's doing and he's got the magazine and he's, you know, he's 
solid guy. So Raymond got the business for about a year and a half and then totally screwed it up. <laughs> so I came in and Jerry's like, dude, Raymond's messing things up and he's not paying people on time. And I'm like, really? Well, so let, let me, I'll, I'll take care of that. So wait, his magazine was doing the marketing for... Yeah, but he kind of started a little agency out of his magazine called Rebel. But it was all it was owned by him, and it was owned by Ur, but it was called Rebel, and it was a. He was supplementing what he was. Yeah, yeah, doing. A little. Yeah. He's this guy Josh Levine. He had like a little team, and they were running the Scion account, mainly like producing An advertising music. agency. Yeah, but it was Pretty more much. of a more non traditional, meaning they yeah. were like, you know, Scion was releasing music and CDs and doing these art collaborations like way before any other brand was. So Raymond was, you know, making over a million CDs every year. You know, and, and basically like had a good business. Like he was doing really well with it. But for whatever reason, he stopped paying like these little, like a DJ was owed 300 bucks. And he was, he had to chase down that 300 bucks and it all got back to Jerry. And she's like, I can't deal with this anymore. I said, I'll come in and fix it. So she said, so she gave me this one project. It was like this Scion rally, which was this go-kart Scion rally event we did at those import car shows. And ultimately grew the business into a legitimate agency and, you know, ran the sign account with a big team, team of 30 people um, from 2005 to the very end in 2016. So, so yeah. So did, did you start this agency? I did. I started with a partner named Matt Costa, but I started the agency built on Scion. Like, you know, they, <laughs> it was all Scion. You know? so, so crazy. Yeah. So the project, that she gave you the route, the go kart thing. Yep. That that turned into like a conversation it, with her, or she said, "Hey, you you, you killed it with this." Yeah. So they were ready to make moves, anyways, yeah. right? So so Raymond Roker, you know, at Herb had a staff of about four or five people that were running the account. So I, I and Jerry liked all those people. She liked everyone there. She didn't really want to disrupt that dynamic. So I I. Basically, took all those people under Who's my Who's coming umbrella. with me? Yeah, and they all came. Jerry McGuire did. They all came. And Raymond totally understood. Yeah. He realized he's the one that's, that He's out of up. his element, and he's like, I'm going to focus on the mag or whatever. He and just, he realized he was, he mishandled the, the, the opportunity. And yeah. So I, I kind of came in there and sort of took it back from him, if you will. Yeah. And uh, and grew it. You know, we grew it. So you, we grew it to the point where in 2006, Beyond Marketing Group, which was the name of the agency, it, it was your agency, though. It was my agency, yeah. You started your I own 50, 50 Yeah, my own agency called Beyond Marketing Group. I had a 50-50 partner named Matt Costa. But, you know... The musician. We, exactly. Yeah. You always get confused with that guy. but And he kind of looks like him, too, <laughs> after the trip. So it's um, not him. It's not him. No, I'm just saying. No, no. It's not Matt Costa. But he got that all... I bet. ...all through yeah. the years. Um, but, yeah, we basically... Uh, I mean, by 2006... And who was he? Like, where did he come from? He Matt was at the import car show. Okay. He was at Vision Entertainment doing sponsorship sales and doing really well. Like he was really good at sales, you know. Kind of he's the guy you can go out and drink beers with, and he just would be fun. And you know, all the clients loved hanging out with Matt. Where me, I was more like kind of behind the scenes, like getting the shit done. So it was a good dynamic. Like he was kind of out there and mixing you, it up. You two and, partnered up and started Beyond Marketing. Yep. Started and your, Beyond Marketing. your first account. First account Scion. was Scion. And, and we had other accounts. We, we certainly got other business going, but it kind of lived and died with Scion, you know? And that was sort of the deal we made, though, too, because Jerry was extremely hard to work with. Um, and she 
basically said, you guys cannot work with any other clients. She's not, she's like, you're not going to take my creativity and leverage that to get more business. And she sort of put the hammer down on us, but we didn't really say no because she was making it worth our time. Yeah. She, you know, we were agency, we were like? agency a record for Toyota, like AOR, which is hard to get like that. Those don't get handed out very often. AOR agency a record. So in the advertising world, in the, you know, in that world, you want to you want to be an AOR to a company. That means the budget for their marketing gets allocated to you, and you only, you only, and you 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 delegate down from there. So if a, if a, if it's a ten million dollar budget, you're getting that budget and you're managing that spend, and you're working with all the different vendors, but it all goes through you. Wow. Yeah. So we had that for years, years and years and years and years. And how much was that budget? It was. Oh, about $15 million a year. Fudge! Yeah, That's it was crazy. It was insane, dude. Like I said, in 2006, our first project was $250,000. So that was our billables for the year. By 2006, it was $15 million. So we had a thousands of a percent in growth. So we got fastest growing company in Orange County. Remember, L, uh, LRG, remember LRG, the clothing yeah. brand? We beat LRG that year for the fastest growing company in Orange County. Wow. Yeah, it was a... So we just, it was nuts. Bro. Yeah. You went from a defunct rave business and swallowed your pride and took a job working for an yeah. events marketing. Yeah, Vision Entertainment. Yeah. And did that for about a year and a half. A year and a half. And then, bam, this opportunity fell on your lap. It sort of did, yeah, because, as I said, if Raymond would not have dropped the ball, I, I mean, everything would yeah. I, I don't think it would have came my way. And the first project you did was 200... 250000 It was like a, an eight-show tour where we did this. Like, we'd set up a parking lot, bring in these go-karts, wrap them with the Scion branding, and anyone that came to the car show could come drive these go-karts for free. And it was just, it was just a branding exercise. Yeah. You know, and that, the cool thing with Scion sort of like how Red Bull does it today, is all the work we did <clears throat> didn't have to really correlate to sales. It was just branding. Yeah. You know, that never happens today. Yeah. Like, yeah. There has to be a real a clear return ROI. ROI. What is it's got to be an ROI. Yeah. What are my yeah. KPIs and what's my ROI and what's yeah. my whatever acronym you want to use? But ultimately, you know, we were able to, I mean, we, we did a record label for Scion, full 360 label. They had their own label ran by Beyond Marketing Group where we licensed tracks and did tours and released music. And I mean, that went on for years. We would do art gallery shows. You started that, what, 2005, Beyond Marketing? 2005 is when it really kind of took off. 2004, you know, the, the seeds were being planted. Um, but yeah, I mean, and $15 million a year budget. Yeah, give or take. In 2005 or six, six. By 2006. We, in 2005, we started getting close to that number, like probably around 8 million. But by 2006, it was steady, okay. steady at like 15 million. That's so crazy. How floored were you and Matt going, I don't know how to spend this kind of money. We need to create. Oh, come on. Uh, we just, well, you know, come on. In a weird way, we just, had our, we just had, our, had our head down and we yeah. just were, we were in it. Like, yeah, the money but was But you coming. know what I'm saying? That's like, a lot of money. We were doing we were doing quarterly distributions that were healthy. Yeah. And it was the first time, I mean, I didn't grow up with money. Yeah. I, I mean, I I had zero help from my family. 
my family is awesome, but I never had a you know any monetary help. Never, yeah. never like a, aside from my neighbor who gave me that five five grand or whatever. But yeah, I mean it was all. I mean I earned all of it from scratch. I, I know that, but when you get handed this budget and you're you're allocating it all different types of marketing. Yeah, we give Vice a million a year. We give you know. We, <laughs> Yeah, we were given vice. You know, like that, their, their budget was coming from us, you know. So yeah, yeah, we were working with all the media companies, all the artists. You know, we would do. Sign was really heavy on doing events, which yeah. was great for me. That's what I did for them, is that we would do hundreds of events a year, hundreds. Wow. wow. Like from nightclub shows to festivals to tours. You know, that was our mo. Is we our our marketing was through these events. And these music and art initiatives. We did an art gallery in LA in Culver City for eight years. Like we did art shows with David Cho and all these huge artists. So I mean it was it was some of the funnest work to ever work on because it was just pure creative. It was yeah. all creative and fun and there wasn't yeah. like there wasn't some mandate to say, okay, you spent this money, it has to translate to X. It was no. It was like if the the scene is loving it. Yeah, and the the, the the talent you're pulling talent. them the right talent, the right group of people there that they feel is relevant. We would make uh, two million dollars in merch every year, from wow, from socks to shirts to bags, and that all ran through our agency as well. So you're so, able to not just take the 15 mil budget and work off of that, but you're able to gen- generate revenue at these events or or through. We didn't really double dip in that way. Yeah. No, I mean we we sort of. We sort of were just trying to work off our, you know, we had about 20% margins on yeah. our business, which was healthy yeah. for us. So we didn't. Because you're kind of forced to spend that money, right? Not forced, but. Oh, and it was spent easy. There, was, yeah. there wasn't a problem spending the money. That's what I was Sorry. saying earlier. You're like, what would you do? How would yeah. you spend it? I'm like, easy. <laughs> yeah. I know, but to be creative. And, I know. And to like, make it. You know, there's 365 days out of the year. Well, here's what right? we do. So, so for example. Yeah. In 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, we'd go to Winter Music Conference or South by Southwest. And I, I was producing shows with Motorhead, Wu-Tang Clan, Calvin Harris. Like we'd book the biggest talent. So we were doing all these free events that, that I got a chance to produce with some of the best artists in the world. And it was just a branding play. That's epic. Like, so we had free shows. I mean, so, you know, doing a show with Motorhead in, in South by you know, there's 300 grand right there. Yeah. You know, so we wrap we wrap cars and we do just all these initiatives around yeah. it. So we, we did that for, I mean, years 2005 and years. to 2016, 2016 beyond marketing. In 16, Scion went away. Uh, Toyota killed the brand in 16, in October of 16. So crazy. Yeah. Why, why do you think they... You know, what the brand was built on wasn't relevant anymore. You know, the, this whole customization and, and being an individual, that wasn't in play. It was like the, the kids wanted to drive like Buicks and like just, they didn't care about, not Buicks per se, but, but yeah. something plain and it wasn't about this whole aftermarket thing. And, and Scion sort of produced a couple of shitty vehicles that weren't well received. Yeah. Like this IQ and some models that were just terrible. Mm-hmm. So sales started slumping and, you know. Another, some, another car companies kind of took, like a Kia kind of took they're a little little steam from them and other brands yeah. started kind of knocking like, yeah, like not Hy- just hyundai's become a, Hon- a big yeah brand he hyundai and, yeah he it, hyundai or hyundai? hyundai he hyundai he hyundai just like nike and Adidas. 
Depends where you're at in the world. Yeah. Fill it. I'm yeah. just kidding. Well, the key, that's a, but that's a, that's how people pronounce it in other parts of the world. It's yeah. Kia had that soul, which was like that hamster yeah. one. So yeah, uh-huh. I mean, there was there was other people coming in the market, yeah. but it was just the the brand itself sort of lost its luster. Yeah. Um, and the just the, the next crop of kids coming up wasn't into it anymore. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah, they just killed the brand. It's really mind blowing to hear this story about you being a hip-hop kid from suburbia surfer hip-hop rave promoter car rave promoter yeah and then i mean i was worried about the 30 grand (laughs) you know i was worried about the spending of the 80 grand only to get 30 grand back yeah and wondering whoa you're fucking losing your ass (laughs) you know and then all of a sudden you're telling me that scion was giving you fifteen motherfucking million dollars a year For over to spend. I, I had a, I had a, and you're I doing a little, this. I had a little NBA career. I mean, that's basically the level was at. Yeah, dude. I mean, it was insane. It was. Yeah. We, you tr- I mean, we worked did, hard for it, though. Trust me, it wasn't like giving. Oh, no, but sure. it was. It was. It was awesome. I and you had, I, a, I mean, full That's staff. It was, it was legit. You had, you know, we had a, we had an agent. I mean, at that peak, you know, we had thirty people. You know, in our agency, Jason Hartchark, I brought in. He ran. Jason Hartchark ran Scion for ten years. He was the point person on the account, overseeing everything. And yeah, so I was able to bring my friends kind of into the fold. And, yeah. How many know, people did you have? Thirty people. Thirty at our peak. Yeah, we had an office in Irvine, right off of Red Hill. Um, and we had 30 people and, you know, we were able to get, we had some business with Harley Davidson that kind of parlayed from Scion, some skull candy business, some little projects here and there. Like we did, we did this kind of equity deal for this beverage company called Life Aid, um, which turned out to be a really great client. They're, you know, really, really successful today. And we took equity instead of getting an agency fee. Um, so we did a couple of deals like that where, you know, sort of creative kind of deals, more of an of a equity play. Some worked out, some didn't. That one happened to work out. Um, I still, I, st- I still own shares in Life Aid today, um, so I'm still a shareholder. When when Matt and I went our separate ways, we each kind of took our equity personally. So, so I had so my shares, he had his shares. And so you closed Beyond Marketing in 2016. In two thousand, we we so in 2016 we sort of said let's let's keep it moving. Let's try. Let's try to you know find a branch out. Like the sign pulled. So when sign went away, this girl Kimberly Gardner went to Kia, and Kimberly and I were really tight. So she's like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some Kia work," you know. So I worked on Kia for a year and a half, and I just you know the the Korean companies are they just work differently. Yeah, they're they're they don't like to cut big checks. They don't want to really operate like let's say Toyota. You know, which is this behemoth. Yeah. Kia just didn't have the budget. Bare bones. We couldn't get anything done. So spent about a year and a half trying to make Kia happen. And I never did. I was so close on so many different projects, but it never happened. And then my partner, Matt, started getting into cannabis. And he's like, you know, in, in 2018, we kind of just looked at each other and said, dude, this was a great run. We're just going to go our separate ways. So no bad blood. Everything ended fine. He ended up buying me out of beyond because he wanted to keep it going um he sort of tied in his cannabis venture with with the agency so i was like no worries i'm gonna do something else and yeah uh, so in in the summer of 18 i was out of beyond completely um i was working on launching an app this social planning app called ribbon which is still around but it never technically launched 
and then sort of was looking for my next uh, opportunity, you know, after that. Um, and was consulting for a little bit and making other investments with some other brands. And during the beyond years, I was able to invest in, you know, some pretty cool brands like like Rain, the, sun, the sunglass company, yeah. and uh, Polar, which was a clothing brand back then. Yeah. And, um, so I was, you know, always kind of had that desire to kind of be an early stage investor, which is the most risky, you know, stage. Yeah. yeah. But I, that's that's what I'm drawn to, you know. And it's um, brand big risk, big re- reward. Yeah. Apple didn't, you know, fall far from your, your first adventure, like with $30,000 loss to, <laughs> yeah. you know, hey, there's money to be made and big money to be made if you, you know. Bet on the right horse. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take risk, but yeah. the reward's huge. Yeah. And it's hard to take risk, you know, as you get older with the families and stuff. And yeah. You have kids, but I'm still doing it. So. So in 2018, when you like dissolved and, and got, you know, you guys went your separate ways, did you, you had enough money and other income from some of these other investments or were you? Yeah. I mean, basically uh, I was, you know, I sold some of my equity in, in LifeAid back mm. to the owners of it. So it was a, a multi-year payout. So I was able to kind of use some of that, st- still using some of it. Yeah. Um, so it was a good chunk of change. It was a good chunk of change and I still retained some of the equity too. So I still have a good chunk of it as well. I didn't sell all of it because my hope is they get acquired yeah. by a Pepsi or some other, you know, and, big and, brand. And is this just you kind of just evaluating or are you getting help from like, you know, other like peers or insights saying, hey, don't don't liquidate it at all. Like you just know, like keep some of it in case they do go public. Like it's sort of just my own gut yeah. telling me, you know, like, you know, for me at the time, I wanted to take some money off the table because yeah. there's no guarantees and, and, you know, I was able to work it out where they, they wanted to buy some equity back from, mm, from, from some timing. shareholders. So the timing worked out good. I knew I needed some runway to kind of get my next project set up because I knew I wasn't just going to go out and try to find a job somewhere. That's really yeah. not going to happen for me. Um, so, you know, I was able to kind of continue to take risk, um, which sort of led me to the Palm Springs Surf Club. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're yeah. what we call a, is, is it a, Venture capitalist or angel investor? I don't have enough money to be called that. It's just an early stage investor. Okay. You know, I mean. I'm going to call you angel investor. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sure. Yeah. Hey, I, I got this idea. Hey, we have this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> We're let's launching pack, nationwide. Let's package yeah. it up. Yeah. Um, so yeah. wait, yeah. So how, how, did, you, yeah. how did you, yeah, how did that unravel in that opportunity come up. Dude, unravel is not the good, it's not the right word. How that presents? Unfold. Unfold. Unravel. Unravel is bad. You mean with, with Paul Springs? <laughs> Unravel. Yeah. Unfold. How did that opportunity present itself to you? Thank you. With the Paul Springs Surf Club? Yes. Well, so I was Troy Eckert, who's the guy you know. Yeah. Troy Eckert was one of the co-founders of Vulcan. He was on our show. No way. Yeah. Oh, dude. Radical I Voyage, I bro. Yeah. So, so Troy started doing Radical Voyage, like you said, and... I was, after Beyond, I was sort of like confused on exactly where I should be putting my time. And, you know, I just needed some clarity. And Troy just launched Radical Voyage. So I'm like, oh, this sounds great. Like, so I hired Troy. and was to mentor one, you. Yeah. Th- that's what Radical Voyage is, yeah. partially, is, you you know, he does coaching and sort of helps, you know, whether it's personal or business or whatever. But he yeah. sort of helps, you know, get you realigned. And, uh, and it, it's been really beneficial for me. Um, but Troy, so you're one of the first guys he's kind of, I was, I was probably with, right? one of the first, one of the first guys. Yeah. I think there's a couple others, but yeah, Troy, Troy, 
Um, and I worked together right when he launched it, basically. Awesome. What um, a trip. And then so Troy, through our, you know, we were working together through Radical Voice for like maybe six months. And, uh, and I was still sort of struggling to find out what I really wanted to do. And it always kind of came back to events. Like, that's where my passion is. That's what I love to do. Yeah. But like I said earlier, like trying to break in to that scene is next to impossible now. Because you got these two Goliaths. You got Live Nation and AEG that own the market. They own the venues. They own the talent. So, you know, for you to go out there and think you're going to get an artist that sells tickets is not going to happen. Mm. Because any artist that sells tickets is, is getting, getting bought by the those guy. guys. They're yeah. getting multiple dates and are they going to take my one date or are they going to take 20 dates from live nation and they're probably having an agreement with them that you're not allowed to do any yeah, other totally. venues there's, there's, you know and i mean that's the thing with these agreements they, they mess with you they lose there's radius clauses yeah so radius clauses yeah so when you when a big festival happens or there's an in-demand artist and that promoter books that talent say you know golden voice books you know paul fisher for a dj gig in la and in that contract it says you cannot play a gig 30 days before or 30 days after the show within a 500 mile radius. Wow. So that's why getting a... That's fe- fucked up. That's and crazy. so when you think about Coachella and all the talent they have, you can't book talent because if, if an artist is playing Coachella, you're not going to get them before or after the show. Yeah. So you, you're oh just, God. you're locked out. It's a crazy... I had this... I'm going to get to this real quick, but basically I had a... Um, I don't know where to throw this in, but in 2005... Pasquale Rotella, the same guy from Insomniac. In 2005, the rave scene came back. Okay, It was a couple years since the rave act and shit kind of died down and raves kind of got off the radar. So the scene started coming back huge and bigger than ever. EDM was becoming a mainstream music format. So, you know, by 2006 and 7, Pasquale was doing shows with 100,000 people. 100,000 people. So we were doing 30 in our heyday, he's doing a hundred. So when he down downsized to stay in the gig for three three k day events, it paid. It paid off. Yeah, it paid off. So in two thousand five, the one thing he did not have was a show in March. Mm-hmm. He did not have a springtime event, and yet how sweet it is, which was still sort of well known in the scene and enough where he wanted to partner with us. So in two thousand five, we did a deal with Insomniac. It was Insomniac and B three, bring you how sweet it is. So we produced that show together. For four years at the Shrine, 2005, 6, 7, 8, and then at 9, 2009, we went to the Orange Show again in San Bernardino and did like 20,000 people. Okay, so the scene was, it was coming back huge. We were sort of back in it with how sweet it is, but it was a partnership with Pasquale. Come around 2010, the guy just totally screwed us. He's, he really, what he saw that was happening is he saw he was bringing B3 back. Mm. So it was almost he was bringing a competitor back into the fold and he got like we started doing another event called we started doing juju beats again that year and he just got oh he was like oh shit like what did i just do kind of thing so going into 2010 as we would be planning for how sweet it is he sort of ghosted us and we're like what the fuck's going on you know we need to plan for the show pasquale what are you doing like you know like not responding emails and just ghosting us and we're like this is not good so in September of 2009, he goes, hey, guys, he finally responded. We go to his office. He goes, hey, I got to tell you, I'm not doing how sweet it is anymore. I'm going to do a new show called Beyond Wonderland. I'm going to take the date and I'm doing my own thing. And we're like, 
what the fuck are you going to do? You're going to take the date for yourself and you're going to you're going to leave us in the dust because the date thing going back to the radius clauses the spring with so, the they're so critical. No one really thinks about it, but having these dates in a calendar it, it, it is so important for these big events because then you can plan talent around it. And so when he decided to make that move, we had no recourse. We mm. couldn't get talent, couldn't get venues. We were just, we were done. That was the only window of the year that was not really. And he, by that time, he was a big deal. Pasquale had all the leverage. He was a, one of the yeah. biggest promoters in the world, wow. let alone in California. He so, stayed in the trenches and, and reaped the rewards. Right. And I mean, I, I give Pasquale props for, you know, the guy's paid his dues yeah. but he's also notoriously a really bad businessman mm. he's bad to his partners he screwed people over and so we ended up having to sue the Cut guy throat. because so in 2013 the rave scene and this thing was so huge that live nation came in and they bought pasquale's company live nation the publicly traded yeah. you know multi-billion dollar company he's laughing he bought his company for multi 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 tens of millions of dollars what yeah son of a bitch and he and pasquale still retained 50 percent of it what yes even so, after getting multi-millions yeah so at that time live nation's doing this there's another company called sfx this guy robert sillerman who actually founded live nation before he's you know clear channel you guys have heard of clear yeah. Channel? Oh, yeah he founded clear channel which turned into live nation this guy's a billionaire so he saw the scene with raves kind of blowing up and EDM. So we started this thing called SFX, which was only focused on dance music. They didn't do rock concerts like Live Nation. They were just EDM only. Went public on the NASDAQ, launched this company to battle Live Nation, started buying up promoters all around the world, bought this group called ID&T, which was like the insomniac of Europe. They did a show called Tomorrowland, which does 300,000 people in Belgium. They're, they're a big deal. So... SFX starts buying promoters, yeah. Live Nation starts buying promoters, and there's this battle, right? And I'm like, I started talking. They weren't doing any shows in Southern California. Pasquale had that on lock, but they needed to be in Southern California. So I started- SFX? SFX. They had to, to compete. They had to be in the biggest market, Yeah. and they weren't in there yet. So there's this guy, Shelly Finkel, who's this boxing promoter. Einhorn and Finkel? Right, exactly. <laughs> he, he managed the Klitschko brothers. Um, he was a big time Klitschko. Boxer. Yeah, like Vladimir Klitschko, and that that he was a boxing promoter, but he was part of SFX, and he was there to kind of do deals. So I got in touch with Shelly through a friend, and started working on a deal to do shows in Southern California, and it was going to be how sweet it is. That's what they wanted. Yeah. So we we wrote a letter to Pasquale, my attorneys did, saying, "Hey, based on your actions, we're going to assume the partnership's done." Right? Like, you're doing your own thing. You don't want to do the show anymore. Like, let's just say that it dissolved. Mm -hmm. And the thought was, he'd either come back and say, yeah, I agree. Then we could do the show. Or he's going to say, no, I'm still a partner. And then that opens up liability. Because he'd be competing against us. If he were to say, yeah, I'm still your partner. Oh, really? Well, then why are you competing against us with that Beyond Wonderland show? And bottom line is, it turned into this gnarly lawsuit where we had to sue Pasquale and you know, we had to go to court and the whole deal, and it took years and years and years, and it's still not resolved today. Wow. Yeah, it's in a, it's in the appeal process in the uh, Orange County Superior Court. Dang. It's going to be heard. We're on, we're on appeal because our judge, we had a binding arbitration, two-week arbitration in front of this retired federal judge, this guy George Schiavelli, gnarly dude. Lo and behold, the judge was taking Percocets during our trial, and he had this gnarly- Mistrial? 
our, during our trial, he literally would pull out his bottle and start taking his Percocets. And he, he had this personal injury situation where he literally was suing a mall because he went down an escalator at a mall and broke his hip. And the guy was in terrible shape. The judge. The judge. Oh. But he's sitting here working our case. Not all and, there. And, and judges are supposed to disclose those things. Yeah. It's a law. Like You have to disclose issues like that. Never disclosed it. We end up losing the case. The case took two years longer to get done because he would delay rulings for six months. And this, it was just comedy of errors because he was not fit to be judging cases. Wow. So What's your recourse on that? So right? our only recourse, and it's going to be unprecedented, is you have to make an appeal. And even though it's a binding arbitration, I found this appellate attorney that is this, this guy's next level. So we have a we have an appeal in the court to saying, basically saying that the judgment needs to be thrown out because of the disclosing issue with the judge. He should have disclosed to us that he had this injury and he was taking opiates, you know, Percocets, and he never did. So we're hoping that the appellate judges will say, yeah, you're right. This judge had a duty to disclose, but it's a long shot because mm. typically judges don't like to go against other judges. But, yeah. but from the delays in these rulings to yeah. the fact of the opiate you used to the fact that he had a, a lawsuit that was active at the time of our lawsuit where in, yeah. the, in his lawsuit he says he's unable to work. Yeah. He says in his own suit that he can't work, but he's working. Yeah. Wow. Like, he's so, still alive that he died. He died from those same injuries. He died last year. Dang. After he gave us a ruling. So yeah. So now, so we have this crazy, uh, we had this crazy lawsuit with Pasquale and got pretty ugly, you know, and, and it's, we're hoping to get some sort of, I mean, it, we kind of got screwed all across the board on that one. Yeah. Dang. You know, and that's the, that's the risk with these things is you go to these uh, arbitrators, you don't know what kind of judge you're getting. Yeah. You know, you just, it's just. It's risky, man. It's so hard. We thought we had a slam dunk case, and, and we lost. What would have been like the the, the payout had, or the like? So I had a liability that I had a part of the process. I had to pay uh, an expert, like a damage expert, about sixty thousand dollars, to come up with this gnarly report that showed that our damages on the low end were ten million and the high end twenty million. So Pasquale was facing, you know, a ten to twenty million dollar, you know, settlement or judgment against him. Um, so there's still hope for that. Yeah, but there's hope. But ultimately, what would happen if, if we get lucky, and the judge and the judge, you know, the, the the appellate judges say, yeah, this is wrong. Settle. And, yeah, I mean, we we'd have to. This thing would start all over again, and we'd either have to go to trial again or we try to mediate it. Um, but it's a long shot. Even with even with all this in our favor, it's still a long shot. Crazy. Um, but the bottom line is, like, we had a. You know, we had a chance to bring back How Sweet It Is in, in 2015. Couldn't do it. So we did it. We actually launched a, another festival called One Tribe. And we in 2015? Had, 2015, Lake Paris State, State Recreational Park out in Paris, California. Had the venue. We were promoting the show. SFX was our financing partner. It was an ID&T and B3 present kind of deal, which was a big deal. Yeah. Um, and then another stroke of bad luck happens where SFX, a month before our show, goes bankrupt. What? Yep. SFX? SFX went bankrupt. And it's it's in the, I mean, it's publicly known. And so basically we had to refund tickets again Fuck. for a show that didn't happen in 2015. So, so you know, there's there's always hits. You yeah. Know, there's, there's, there's blows. And so is that the nail that... 
Well, I mean, I was Close doing the coffin or whatever. I was doing agent. I was doing Beyond Marketing Group at the time, and what I did is I brought that in as one of our assets. Yeah. You know, I talked to Matt about it. We said, "Hey, this is a one thing you kind of want to do is have some IP, some sort of intellectual property." Because before that, we were just sort of selling air and ideas. Yeah. You know, which a lot of that was. So if we had a something tangible like a festival, yeah, we could talk to sponsors about it and and use that to sort of leverage the agency. Yeah. So that was the idea. So I sort of, I brought that under the fold and beyond and try to make it a part of what we were doing through the agency. And ultimately it, it just failed because of the bankruptcy. We had, to, we had to cancel the show, you know, refund tickets and it, it was not fun. Um, we thought we, I mean, we were gonna have a major festival. Yeah. You know, it was a big deal. That, and that was under Beyond Marketing. That was under, it was behind the scenes it was. Beyond Marketing was the one that kind of owned it on our end. but. Public facing was B3 and ID&T. Yeah. ID&T. And SF. Yeah, but SFX was sort of, they were the financiers behind it. They weren't the promoters of it. The promoters were, it was ID&T and B3. Yeah. And it was a big deal because ID&T had never done a show in, in the United States or in California. And uh, it was sort of a big, I mean, it was, it was getting some hype. You know, we had sold almost 11,000 tickets by the time we had to refund them. Like, we were going to have a legit show on our hands. I tried to salvage it. There's this dude, Randy Phillips, who's a really well-known like live entertainment executive. He wanted to come in and, and maybe try to fund it, but SFX wouldn't get out of the way. Like the, you know, even though they're going down, yeah, like he terrible. was just like he's like, no, we're not going to give you that much equity and yeah. sort of kill that deal too. Wow. So the show never happened, and it was a, it was a tough pill to swallow. Hear dad. that, people? Just don't get into the. Uh... Rave promotions, man. <laughs> tough, tough gig. <laughs> you know, or just be willing to take licks. Yeah. That's what it takes. You're going to get kicked before you, you know, get the victory. Well, also, shame me once. My bad. Shame me twice. Wait, what is it? I don't know. Where are you going with that? <laughs> wow. Well, where I'm going is this guy, Pasquale, yeah. fucked you once. You should have learned from that because he fucked you again. Yeah. 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 We should have. I mean, ultimately, that's what I bet. You know, shame me once, my bad. Or wait, shame me once, your bad. Shame me twice, my bad. Yeah. But I mean, the, you know, we had really no other avenue at that time. Totally. So totally. It seemed like a good deal at the time, but ultimately, yeah, like we could, we shouldn't have, we should not have trusted him. Yeah. Um, and and the way he handled the partnership was just terrible. He, his whole goal was to keep how sweet it is from not happening. Yeah. Like that was his motivation. And he well, did. his whole goal was to put you out of business. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted like in the beginning it was like, oh, I didn't have he needed he, he needed it's it's yeah, he needed you guys because of the poll, you know. Yeah. yeah so we got But yeah, he got every time he got threatened that like, oh well they could essentially B3 was gone. Yeah. He resuscitated it and then he thought Oh shit. oh shit! Like why it's am gonna I, take why over? Why am I bringing these guys back? Yes. Yeah, you know, like and, and in two thousand nine, dude, the scene was popping off like never before. That's crazy. Like there was huge numbers happening, and there was a lot of froth. Yeah, you know, and, and part of part of the straw for him that kind of broke the back is we brought in this investor to do Juju Beats in two thousand nine that Pasquale hated. This guy Artie Parent that he just had a bad deal with him. So right when we started working with Artie, he was like, oh, fuck these guys. Wow. You know, and he just, he just said. Did you know that? He, he did express to us that he wasn't happy that we were working with Artie, but we didn't think he was going to go to that extent yeah. where he was just going to like say, screw you guys. I'm doing a, my own yeah. new show. 
and uh, taking the date, taking the venue, taking all the momentum. Yeah, and you guys and knew that, the risk. If you had somebody that was willing and, and knew the risk on their end, it's like, dude, yeah, we're going to go with this guy already. He knows he's going to dump some money, already knows the scene. It's a t- I mean, the guy, Pasquale, like his biggest show, Electric Daisy Carnival, he didn't even create that show. This guy, Kool-Aid, who was another old school promoter, that was his show that he created. He produced it before Pasquale. Pasquale got some sort of verbal confirmation from Kool-Aid that he could use the name, huh. you know, but it was never like really done the right way. And Kool-Aid has been sued. He's sued Pasquale over this too. And it's just the guy just for being successful and he's burned a lot of bridges. Way, yeah, he's yeah. Done the shade, which is unfortunate, but, and he's still to this day, he is probably one of the most powerful promoters in the world. So nuts. Like he's a big deal. So, so after, after yeah, getting uh, back to Troy Eckert. Yep. Oh yeah, Radical exactly. Voyage. See, I knew that was going to be a detour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Radical Voyage. So basically, uh, Troy knew <clears throat> one of the partners in Palm Springs Surf Club. This guy Matt Belden. We know Matt Belden. Yeah, Matt's awesome. Um, so I just said, hey, dude. I mean. So I, I would love an intro, basically, you know, like, yeah. and Troy was super cool about it. And so, um, sorry to cut you off. So Matt Belden, Troy Eckert are friends mm-hmm. and yeah. Matt, Troy knows that Matt's part of P- Palm Springs Surf Club. Yeah. There's this group called Pono Partners, which is the group that bought Wet and Wild, which is the venue that Palm Springs Surf Club is at. It used to be a water park. Mm-hmm. So there's a group that. This guy, James Dunlop, Matt Belden, Shane, Kalani, JMO. There's a, there's a crew that make up Pono Partners, and Matt Belden's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they were raising like a friends and family round, you know, like kind of like a real tight round to kind of just get some initial money going. So gave us a chance. Troy and I were going to go in on that round together, but Troy decided to, you know, focus elsewhere. So I went in on that round. I invested in the Palm Springs Surf Club. Small investment, but... Kind of got my foot in the door, really with the with the end goal of having a role with Palm Springs Surf Club. Like yeah, basically, that, that's what you presented to them. Like, hey, I'm in, in, but I'm also could bring this based on my yeah. I mean, I was experiencing it, yeah from doing the events and sponsorships because that's so much of my wheelhouse. That's what I've been doing for 20, 30 years. You know, yeah. and that's somebody <clears> you probably needed too, though. You know, somebody that can manage you know entertainment and someone that kind of knows surfing too because. You know how nuanced it is, right? Yeah. You know, you can't have, like Shane you gotta and Kalani. Gotta have authenticity, brother. <clears throat> yeah, Shane and Kalani don't want some marketing dude in there that doesn't really know how to surf and he's going to rub certain people the wrong way. Yeah. So I had a chance to kind of prove myself and, you know, got in there doing some just initial, you know, hey, ground. Hey, Brian, I need you to rip this wave and yeah. bust an air at the end and then yeah. we'll talk. Here's your initiation. Uh-huh. I told those Get guys. Get barreled here. Do an air here. Uh-huh. I actually, with the first time I surfed in front of those guys, I did like a good backside turn, and I was like, "That just locked it in for me." Oh, you know, like Kalani got running the cowbell up there, and oh, I was like, so "Yeah." That, so, had you met? So you met Belden. Yeah, met Belden. Got a chance to meet the the Pono Partner Group. Yeah, and then uh, and made, did made you the, present it to him like that you wanted more yeah, of a role? Yeah. And yeah, and I obviously having some some money in there, so you know, some skin in the game, if you will. Yeah. You know, that's that's always better to work with guys like that versus yeah. just some guy that's looking for a job. Um, so my, my pitch was like, A, we need to be producing our own events that we own as part of our portfolio. So our own IP, our own annual event that we can do every year. 
So it's kind of started there as I was, I said, let me, I'll, I'll put the money up to invest in that. We'll partner on it, you know, and that's sort of how the conversation started. And then it sort of kind of, you know, melted into like more of an internal kind of role where now I'm like the VP of sponsorships and events and, you know. Look at the big brain on B-Man over here. Oh, man. <laughs> B-Man. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, preparing the location like we're, so, we're about to, about so, so everybody's knows pssc like i don't i call it palm springs you surf surfed club. it right linda yeah I did. Did you surf? yeah but did. but everybody knows there's you know there it's happening that's a test pool oh, yeah the, the, the funny no. part is like there's so much talk out there which yeah. is just standard like that's not the wave yeah like, no, it's that's a testing it's a i mean we're dealing with the old shape of the pool which yeah. is just small yeah um so we had the the new technology in there from Surflock, but the old pool. So yeah. it was really just to kind of get Show investors excited, you know, bring sponsors out, kind of let Shane do some early testing. And Shane's obviously the man. The guy yeah. is, I mean, the, how much work he's put in and what I saw is incredible. Um, and very few guys with the kind of knowledge that he has from, you know, coming from BSR and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so Shane's the full wave wizard and um, spent about a, you know, six to eight months with that test wave, primarily to get investors fired up and to kind of lock in the funding we need to build out the park. Yeah. So COVID threw a wrench in that. You know, we were a day or two away from closing some big investors and everything basically stopped. You know, we were supposed to have these guys on site and that's when the, the closing mandate kind of came down from the state and, you know, sort of threw a wrench in our plans like everyone else. Um, so it delayed us a bit, but we recently we secured an amazing investor partner um so the the, the funding side sort of in place and now it's about building the final product and so the wave itself is going to be night and day from what what people have seen um it's going to be you know two or three times the size that that you've seen in the pool and the property is being built out with like a kitty area and a spa and a restaurant and these cabanas and it's going to be like a like kind of kind of a resort style mm, but nice. still affordable like yeah. still close to like the the bsr pricing probably a touch more but very accessible unlike let's say kelly's wave or right. yeah you know it's it's for the average surfer that is valet parking cars they can come and do an hour at palm springs and it's going to be it's going to be totally yeah, more of a family atmosphere yeah. more of a an event atmosphere yeah come out with the kids wife's in the cabana kids are doing their thing we actually have daycare you know we'll have so be really well so done. for for the listeners you guys have secured your your you've shut the pool down the pool's drained pool's drained yep and now you're in the breaking ground now it's the next phase like basically really starting the development so it's a you know, we're shooting for fall of next year. To be open. To be open. Up and running. Up and running. And, you know, there's like anything, yeah. a lot of moving parts of that. But, yeah, weather um, permits, construction. But yeah. the good news is you guys have the funding and you you have the permits. You have, you're set to go. The concept. Everything all that, all that has to happen now is, is we gotta build, building it. Build it. Yeah, the, 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 groundwork, the groundwork is laid and... How exciting it's exciting yeah you know so that obviously there's nothing official about that date that i said or that no, time for frame, sure but that's your guys yeah, yeah yeah you, that's what we're shooting all for. we really care about is it's realistic is, is that it's a go yeah. and it's, it's, oh, it's you guys go. are funded and it's happening it's well past a go it's yeah. happening like 
Yeah. Fuck so yeah. So it's all. And then, and then what's? I mean, you know, there's also other buzz of other pools going in Palm Springs surrounding area. I which, mean, which I think is amazing. It's yeah. huge to me. That's just sort of proves that the model in a way. And in my mind, if there's two other pools out there, who's not going to stop by our pool? Yeah. You hey. know, if you're going out to the desert to surf pools, and if it's affordable. Like, if oh. yours is affordable and um, Josh Kerr's, right. Kelly's isn't going to be affordable, but if the, your pool and their pool is affordable, it's like all ships rise. And I don't right? know how affordable their pool is going to be. From my understanding, that's more of a luxury play. Just like there's another one in Thermal that's being proposed that might be one and the same. I'm not exactly sure all the projects happening. I know Kelly's is <clears throat> supposedly involved with the son of Charles Schwab yeah. or something. But I don't even know where they're at with that. I yeah, mean, yeah. but ultimately, <clears throat> I think that's just a benefit. Yeah. Oh man, you know, we'll be we'll, we'll be first to market out there, and anyone that's coming to surf the desert, you know, they'll be like the triple crown of the desert. Yeah. Right. How many times have you gone to Palm Springs and thought, you know, <clears throat> this is this is pretty fucking dope? Well, I suck at golf, London. You know that. So yeah, I could drink a lot of yeah, but a lot sitting of, in, lot of the drinks pool, in the pool, but in I'd the rather hot surf. Sun, you're looking around. Yeah. You're like. I love this place. The only thing missing is and the kids the and the wives and everybody love it. Surfing, and, yeah. right? Like you look yeah. around the desert, the cactus, all that shit. It's you're right. like, this is this is <clears throat> awesome. But as surfers, you're like, this is awesome. And it also sucks. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we're not surfing, yeah. right? Yeah. But now, dude, oh. April, where do you want to go? Palm Springs? Let's go. Yeah. Let's go, babe. I'll pack the car. It, it checks the boxes. Like it's a tough sell to. Talk to wife and the kids like, hey, we're flying to Waco, you know, totally. to Texas and, you know, wasting a day or two. And everybody in Southern California, like I was in, you know, BSR a couple weeks ago. There was two peop- two trips from Seal Beach, Huntington from the week before. There's my dentist. He's there this week. There's somebody else that, we- you know, like yeah. every week there's people coming from here. So, you know. That's going to Waco. It's all. Yeah. They're all going to be going to. Did you say your dentist? Yeah, Hada Dentistry. Yeah, Hada. Future sponsor of the yeah. Talking Podcast. Yeah. Rich Hada Family yeah. Dentistry in uh, San Juan, Capistrano. That's the phone number. Is the bomb. Look at this grill. Look how uh, good yeah, I look right here. Yeah. The white's yeah. crazy right yeah. now. I love it. So, so back to, to Palm Springs and the potential for having all those surf wave pools. I mean, you know... The more the merrier, right? The variety is the spice of life. All the things that you can say. Look at Anaheim, right? Anaheim, where Disneyland is. Where Universal, wait, not Universal. Um, Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah. What else is there? Tip. There's other places. <laughs> wax Museum. The Wax Museum. Yeah. Does that count? Oh, medieval, medieval times, medieval. bro. <laughs> like, there's a lot of venues for people to go to. Yeah. And that's what you guys are creating for surfers in the desert. Well, and it's, all, it's like what you guys said. Like, my wife, she already likes to go to Palm Springs. Yeah, exactly. We, you know, yeah. so it's sort of a destination that's desirable anyway. Like, yeah. you know, whether it's going to the parker or whatever it they, might be. Like, it's the. Yeah, they want good food. They want to relax by the pool, spa, and, and you know, it's a good place for the kids. It's The weather's, you know, great. Yeah. And it's going to be like the kind of thing where the restaurant's going to be overlooking the wave. And if, if you're not going there to surf, you can pull up and park for free and have drinks and food and, and at least watch and yeah just watch yeah. like for like people that live in palm springs so it's going to be what night of the week is the rave going to be 
<laughs> well, what's crazy is you guys have you guys ever heard of a white party? You know what that is? Yeah. Like those big gay bashes. Yeah. This guy Jeffrey Sanker does the gnarliest ones out of you know they're like just mayhem. The 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 last one in Palm Springs was at Wet and Wild. Wow. So the venue itself is okay with doing shows. Like yeah. they can do, and they the city is cool with doing events there. You know, we still got to be political about yeah, it, and for sure. You know, that's I have a lot of expertise. Yeah. And working with the cities and planning events. So yeah. I bring a lot of that to the table. Oh, but man. ideally, we'll do like one or two boutique festivals a year. Yeah. It's, it's all kind of TBD. But then a lot of like surf contests and corporate retreats and wellness retreats and, you know, stuff with brands. And, yeah. you know, the, the late night with Chalky. Yeah. Fucking yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. Come alive from Brave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, so there's a lot of lot, lot of opportunity outside of what it's meant to be, which is a surf, you know, destination. But you know, a lot of these other wave pools. I mean, outside of Slater's, which does do events, you know, obviously because it's owned by WSL or that group. But mm-hmm. there's no events at BSR. There's no events at some of these other venues. And you know, to be able to bring a restaurant and you know some spa or you know kid venues and and bring bring all that in you're checking a lot of boxes well i I don't know if we talked about this on the show but like you were saying earlier the the intellectual the ip right intellectual property of raves or parties or concerts and like you know like wsl has wsl events at the ranch yeah you can have your own you know we should we, we should be producing our own events as well, as well as part like for instance Coachella so Paul Talay even though that happened back in the day we're, we're still friends and I emailed him when, we, when I was doing this and he had his guys come out to the venue already and there's early talks about like when Coachella happens we'll be an official oh partner. my gosh you know still got to work those deals out but that's yeah. going to be happening yeah so there'll be kind of the Coachella tie-in you know Live Nation's been out there yeah. so surf and turf bro surf and turf comp Totally. I mean, there's been there's been talks about that too. Of and course. Just, didn't that didn't uh, Kalani help start the Palm Springs Surf Club? Oh, Kalani's a partner. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, a West Coast board riders style club. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Well, there's a there's a group, um, basically a, a, a surf club, if you will. Yes, surf um, club. I don't know why I'm spacing on their name, but these kids are awesome. And we and yeah, Kalani's done a lot for the kids. Yeah. And, They've been to the pool, and I've met them in Huntington a few but times. But they have a board riders club. Yeah, it's yeah. called. Uh, why am I spacing the name? But yes, they have a board riders club, yeah. and it's basically a La Quinta board riders club. No, no. but it's it's uh, East I'll Valley. It's East, East Valley. Valley. East Valley. Yeah, and the girl, the girl that runs it's like a late a teacher from the school, and she like she's yeah like she's a selfless person. Like she'll get a van and drive twenty of these kids down there, and you know they'll go so to Huntington cool. and like. You know, like Sport of Kings, Casey Wheat was, yeah. had hooked up with them and was kicking them down gear. And, That's awesome. You know, it was, it was cool. But yeah, Kalani's been super involved with, uh, and, and Palm Springs Surf Club in yeah. general, supporting those guys and so cool. um, letting them surf the pool and just everything. So There's yeah. not a day when you get out of the water and said, that sucked, unless you get run over or it's flat. Or hit but, with yeah. a stingray. Yeah, or... <laughs> right no stingrays in the wave pool, you guys. Nope. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool, though. That is the, the, the bottom sure isn't soft though. I don't know if you guys have hit the bottom on one of those pools. I haven't. I haven't. It doesn't feel too good. No, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's rough. But uh, but yeah, so that's uh, so is, is that taking like 
all your full time? Are you still like, what's your day to day right He's now? A day trader. Yeah, bro. it's yeah. Actually, that's funny. I do day trade a lot, but um, it takes up a chunk of my time. I mean, you know, my time's really going to kick in when we get closer to opening. Yeah, I am definitely spending time talking to sponsors, and we got a, a ton of interest, and yeah. have a lot of sponsors sort of teed up and ready to go. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm still looking for like I still invest in some companies and just did one recently with my buddy Chris Noise, who was part of Polar, starting a, a pet object. The company's called Pet Object, making this like killer litter box. Wow. Believe it or not. Sick. Cool. So there's Have like fun. there's different little ventures like that. But yeah. my my focus and like where my passion is and what I really want to continue with the is, is the, and, the Palm Springs Surf Club. Yeah, so, I look through there. You know, I sort of have to just be patient because we're you know, we're just in a development phase and yeah, you know. My stuff will kick in probably, you know, early to mid next year where I'm hoping at that time it will be full time. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's exciting, dude. It's yeah. Gonna, it's going to be insane. Full I'm, circle on, on, uh, how, how, you know, we interview a lot of entrepreneurs, we interview a lot of business owners and it's like the funny thing that all ties us together is surfing. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny that, you know, you your story is so different from a lot of other stories you know what i mean and uh it's yeah crazy. It's you're hopping from one brand in the industry to another brand or starting you know like you really went down a road that you're passionate about but also saw opportunity and you know that led to another opportunity and another door open and here yeah. it is and now you're full circle you're kind of with surfing involved you're kind of like yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life type mid midlife crisis. And even though you, you know, it wasn't a, a real midlife crisis, but you know, as yeah, far as a career yeah. and you get, you meet up with Troy, you go through, you know, his, his mentoring and program and surfing presents itself again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my I whole goal throughout all that stuff was to never burn someone, like yeah. never burn a bridge and, you know, at least keep my reputation intact. And I've been able to do that, which I think has helped me through all these different. Never ventures, burn right? somebody in business; just burn them out in the water. Yeah, well, that's, I, that's why. That's why I go surf by myself because I'm a I'm a real dick in the water. Uh, I know where you surf. Yeah, you know where I surf. No, I surf in no man's land on, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. not the bridge, sharky, super sharky. Unlike Jason, Jason surfs the pier because he's afraid of sharks, which is hilarious. Heart shark. <laughs> Uh, he'd be what easy to get one bite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, he'd be snapped in two. He'd be like a <laughs> he'd be like Wigger. Two bony. Later. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, so that's killer, man. I'm I'm fired up on what's in front of me. Nice. Well, we we have like we always ask kind of these uh generic you know kind of questions to our guests. You know, we always like to kind of tie in surf at the end and guess how many uh how much time we've gone so far. I was gonna. I'm wondering. Two hours. Two hours and 36 minutes so Solid. far. Solid. I, I don't good. even, yeah. Is that about your normal length of these podcasts? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're going to grill you for another hour to make it the <laughs> coolest, <laughs> longest hour. No. But, um, you know, surfing, I mean, you've, you know, obviously you're a great surfer. You've, yeah, you've talked about going to, you know, Tahiti and, and Fiji and what other, what other, like, spots have, you know, you've surfed and been to and are going back well without a doubt the spot that i've been to the most has been tafarua yeah that's been i've been there 10 times and yeah fucker that's i know that's I, that's that's something i always spoil myself with you're goofy so that makes yeah. perfect sense you know just, you know the island's just too hard to, to deny with everything that goes on there but you know nicaragua a handful of times yeah. costa rica um tahiti that one time that i have no business trying to serve chopu that's yeah. for sure um 
But yeah, I mean, mainly for me, it's been it's been Fiji. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's wise. Never, never been. I've been to Bali, but yeah. surf like Ulus and stuff. But so good, huh? Went with my chick, and it was not really a surf trip. Yeah, it was one of those things. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but did Bali once, but never the Mentawise. But yeah. I, I would love to do that. Yeah. So yeah, my my thing is uh, Fiji and, and going to Tavi. Nice, dude. Yeah, you're stoked. Those are high roller destinations. Living high on the hog, dude. (laughs) So, have you partaken in Kelly's pool yet, or no? I have not. No, I haven't served Waco either. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Lar has done Waco. Yeah. A couple times. Yep. And I invited him one time, but he couldn't go because he went. He invited me to that surf ranch, but I was out of town on a family trip. Yeah. And have you done the ranch yourself? Yeah. Oh, you have. A couple times. Is oh, it, is come it? on. A couple times. Yeah. yeah. Five times. Yeah. Oh, it, would make, it, would make, it would make sense. It makes sense. Yeah. But uh, we've been invited to do the podcast up there in a month from now. Oh, that's Kelly Swordson, who owns On the Beach. We, we I, you know, we sell out and to him. Uh, known him for years. Great guy. He set himself up after we invited him for Out and Known Day at the ranch. And now... He, he puts Events. trips together. Okay. And we had uh, this photographer, Dave Nelson, uh, Nelly's Magic Moments. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, on the podcast, and he mentioned Kelly and blah, blah, blah. And Kelly called us after he heard the episode. And he's like, dude, you guys are killing it. Thanks for always plugging us. You know, Lars never been, so I'm inviting you guys. So sick. I mean, I you and Kelly were tight back in the day. Right? I know, I know, but it's like I don't think it's his. Well, it is yeah, his call. Right. Uh huh. So, <laughs> so, so uh, I'm gonna burn that guy. So we get on. Uh, we're gonna do a podcast with some industry people. Oh, cool. On on, on um, December second, and then we're gonna get right. to surf too. That's yeah. insane, dude. Yeah, so, I mean, it looks. I'm really shitty at riding barrels, so I, I'd probably blow that proper section. Um, it looks like a, yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like the easiest barrel to, to no. surf. You know, I don't think any way pull. I mean, it's if you're a good barrel rider, you're right. gonna think it's easy. Yeah, yeah. And which, if, I'm, which I'm not. So yeah, That's I've like gotten Achilles heel. Probably the last trip I was there was the best barrel I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Front side or backside? Front side. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's the best barrel in my life, but it was the best barrel in a long time That's at right. that pool. Yeah, it's, I could see front side being. Probably pretty perfect and easy backside because the the tube's small and just typically from barrel riding experience, bigger it is backside easier. Yeah, you know yeah. versus having to crouch because controlling the backside's speed. Backside's easier to tube ride when it's bigger. Hmm. Like no, I just don't mean like you front side. You front side you could squish down small and still maneuver and control speed real easy. Yeah. Backside when it's small you can't control. Your speed is easy. It's easier to ride backside barrels when it's bigger. That's that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's sure as it is. is. I've never really gotten a proper backside barrel. Yeah, that's how that's how much of a kook I am, dude. Me too. I can't yeah. surf. I mean, it's just I I'm just not yeah. good at it. It's me tough. either. I so dodge te- that. It's too technical. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'd be dodging it for sure. But Lippin, lip is here. Don't be there. Uh-huh. That's Shut cool. Up, I'm so to you guys. Are Doing that uh, podcast, um, yeah, right. thanks. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we'll we'll be happy to come out to Palm Springs Surf Club anytime too. Absolutely, um, yeah. And you got to get when the time's right to talk about it in a more proper way. You get get Shane we'll and Clone to talk about we, it yeah. for sure. We've been on our hit. Let's stop dodging us, boys. Yeah, um, they're the ones that should be talking. What about. do you What are you riding board wise right now? Like, what's your go to shape and stuff, dude? I just 
for the first time ever, I'm writing a Merrick. Nice. I got, it's this um, Love Buzz model. I think that was, oh, what's it called? It's a Dane Gudowskis board. Mm. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. There's but some it's sort of models. Sort of, a, models sort of like a kind of like a shortboard groveler, yeah. like extra foam and California you know, beach yeah, paper. I mean, yeah. you know, I can't get that quick to my feet anymore, so it helps having that foam. But yeah, I'm writing this, these Merricks that are just. I got a, the Spine Tech one, which works good, but cool. I think I just like the regular PU better. Yeah. But yeah. But before that, I was sort of writing like JSs or whatever I could find. Yeah. Hmm. Whatever felt good. Whatever the felt good. feels good. Under Get those the... JS monsters. Those nice. are pretty good. That's cool. Yeah. Um, foil? Try foiling yet? Heck no. No. Yeah. Foiling sucks. Have you, have you guys tried it? It looks tough. It looks tough. Yeah. It looks fun, but it just looks like a lot of learning. I've tried it once. And Did you try it this last trip or no? Foiling? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Um, in a long time. New, well, last, I went to Numotu in October last mm-hmm. year. Right. And uh, we tried it. I tried it there. And it was just like, it was a beginner board. It was really big. So they said it's easier. But... It was. To, it, I, I mean, did you literally paddle and get speed that way and pop? Well, they were like, they were actually towing us behind the boat, but okay. I did try paddling too. But um, you know, behind the boat, you just pull on you know a rope and did get you going. See that? It looks, it looks hard. Um, it's hard. Manoa Drulay or whatever, foiling in the barrel. No, no way. There's a picture of him in the barrel, on a foil. That's so crazy. But you haven't seen that? No, but oh I my gosh! See that. But you know, living here, you know, having a full time job and kids and work, and if I have extra time, it's with the kids or trying to surf, like real surf. If I lived yeah. somewhere tropical like that, where you know it's easy, it's warm, I would probably try that as well as kite surf. You know, like yeah, and try a few things because why wouldn't you? It's tropical and killer out. Totally. You'll be in the water as much as you can. Yeah, like you said, the hour you out here, you're just going to surf. You're not going to like try to mess around with the foil. I don't. Yeah, I don't have time to relearn. Yeah. anything. Right well, now. jobs, family, kids. Yeah. It's yeah, just podcasts. Podcast. You know, it takes, some, three, you know, it takes three hours of my Friday <laughs> afternoon. It's cutting into my happy hour right now. You guys need another um, Ashland. Yeah. <laughs> you guys need another hard seltzer, guys. Yeah, those things okay. are awesome. Um, we should wrap it up. Yeah. Whatever, dude. I can talk all. Night. I know you can, but it's getting late. It's the, it's the night before Halloween. It's the night before Halloween. Um, so, what else did you want to promote? Is there anything else you want to promote? No, I'm not looking to promote. Really, just you know, excited for Palm Springs Surf Club, and we talked about that. And yeah, just stoked you guys uh, gave me some airtime, dude. It's awesome. Now we. Uh, I, I see that though. You have a. A website, brianalper.com. Yeah, I'm not trying to drive traffic there per se, but okay. it's, it's more like just who you, it's instead of having a resume, like hey, check out my site. Yeah, yeah. That was sort of one, one of I'm the gonna, I'm gonna create a site someday. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of yeah. After the agency, I just figured I'd get something up and you know, yeah, yeah, be able to point people somewhere. You know, because yeah. well, I'm 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 hoping that you know. This inspires people, or at least ask questions, and you know, to have people always reach out and have a, a mentor. You know, like you yeah. seem like a good guy that would, you know, help others. You know, as you've been in that position, and I mean, we have a lot of inspiring guests on the show, and yeah. What's uh, speaking of that? What what advice would you give to young guys getting out in the field and 
trying to trying to make something happen. Yeah. And it kind of sounds cliche, but you got to do something that you have a lot of passion for. Yeah. I mean, that's that's first and foremost because well, when you fail and you got passion, it's easy to get back on the horse. So whether that's promoting events or yeah. maybe you want to start a, a clothing brand or whatever it might be, I think if you can tie that into something that you actually really care about and it's not just trying to make a dollar or something, um, that's the way to go. So, yeah, dude, I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about trying to mentor, you know, kids that are coming up. And You got a couple cool. of kids here. We're, we're a little yeah. older than your demographic, but we definitely need some mentors. Yeah, like the next, I'm learning a lot of shit today. The next uh, promoters that are coming up, you know, it's... Yeah, I, I could give a lot in that area, and obviously being a promoter, it's, it's kind of a young man's game. Yeah, you know, like it's but, a lot of long hours and leg odd work. times, yeah, and a lot and, of late work, and totally, and just going to events and yeah. mixing it up. And I mean, I got two kids, and I don't like being hungover these days. And you know, you gotta you gotta commit to going out a lot. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's part of the game is you're out five days a week. Yeah, you know, so that's not really conducive to uh, yeah, you raising a seven-year-old. So hand in the pulse, and that means putting yourself in the mix, and you're yeah, that's yeah. That's but tough. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, but yeah, so I think just uh, finding something that you can just have a lot of passion for, and, and realize that you're going to get some licks. Yeah, you know, you got to keep on ticking. Yeah, I mean, that life's. I mean, that is you know a good lesson is you know no matter how good you are at your job or how well the job's going, curveballs come all the time. All whether the it's time. the industry, whether it's, you know, the, the, the company or the job or the atmosphere or business partner, like you're always kind of, you know, COVID. The tricky, COVID. I mean, one of the trickier parts is trying to work with people that, you know, yeah. are good partners. Like, you know, just people in general, try, finding good employees, good partners, those are much harder to find than you think. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times what happens with businesses, you get a bad employee or a bad partner and, you know, find Sometimes you don't find out they're bad until like, that's it's too late. That's what happens yeah. most of the time, Yeah, you know, and that's why it's hard running and, businesses because you, it's And, and money of, changes people a lot. Yeah. So, you know, you got, like you said, you know, it might not have the, you know, that person changed and, you know, could be business decision, but a lot of it's always money, Yeah, totally. you know. Totally. And money make, makes people weird, for yeah. sure. And 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 drugs, and we're 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 saying drugs and alcohol are are not they're bad, but don't abuse anything because yeah. that really throws a wrench in, in people's decision making and stuff. You know, Absolutely. we're all social drinkers, and you know we've also been social partiers and stuff, and we don't condone it. But it's like, you know, it's just being smart about it, surrounding yourself with good, positive people. Yeah, you know? and obviously not to promote drug use but there's different drugs that are way worse to get into than others for sure i mean if you're doing a hallucinogen it's not like you're gonna wake up the next morning and be like oh i gotta do another one yeah you know it doesn't go down that way no you know where i need a break yeah i mean I'm overload sensory overload yeah but, so there's things that are beneficial in the right environment and then there's drugs that just take you right down yeah to the ground always do yeah. things in moderation and, and, in moderation. and that you know that's a obviously you're you know you're, you're a great example of of somebody that put himself in an environment with, you know, being that passion and that business is, you know, Hey, you gotta, you gotta be infused, you know, yeah. in all areas, but you're level headed, you had a dream, you had a business plan. And ultimately that's the drive, yeah. you know, and that's what made you successful. 
Yeah, yeah. When, when I was producing the shows, I wasn't doing drugs. I was focused on producing our shows. Yeah. You know, but still a lot of fun in between. No, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, before fans. Fantasy Surfer. Oh, my God. You're in a Fantasy oh, yeah. League, right? Yeah, I, I think I you're guess in, it's so bad. I've, I've done well a couple times. I think times. you're in a couple of ours. <sighs> yeah, I, absolutely. I think you're, you're in Mag, Maghurst. I'm in a couple. You guys. And are you in the web? Uh, uh, the web I'm one? in the web one, yeah. too. And then you're in the one heart chart put together, right? Yeah. Are you in that one, too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss that, dude. I so miss that miss so it. much. I can't wait till that starts back up because yeah. it's so fun. It is so Listening fun. to people and yeah. watching people just talk shit. It's yeah. Can I, can I, I, I don't know where this got, we might've been talking about it on off, off, uh, mic or whatever, when we were talking about the interview, uh, team red, when we were on a basketball team Oh boy! and, uh, you know, we spoke about this, uh, you know, again, like just in conversation, but how fun, I mean, you're a great basketball player. You're, you're tall or whatever. And we were in that basketball league. We sucked, you know, but not really. Oh, we had to we, we had, didn't suck. We, we had, didn't suck, but we had a good team. I just meant like, you know, like we're not ballers, but yeah, we held our own and how we had a good run for uh, a couple of years. Basketball, I still love it to this day, but yeah. there was a there was a ten year period where I balled four days a week. Mm-hmm. I mean I I, <laughs> I balled more than I surfed. Yeah. Yeah, I fell in love with it. There's a city gym here in Huntington. Yeah. Um and I do they did pickups Tuesday, oh. Thursday nights. There was like Tony Gonzalez was there with his brother and yeah. you know, it was a solid crew and yeah, I love basketball. And then ultimately kind of start getting hurt and you have to make a call, you know, you roll your ankle one too many times and yeah. can't serve for three weeks. So yeah. I just sort of, but I still, I still shoot probably a hundred shots a day So, so in front it, of my house. Really? Yeah, I, still, I was I just going to ask like, shooting. you know, most, most surfers, you know, stay fit by just surfing. I mean, we're, you know, we don't really need. It's so physically demanding if you're, you're if you're surfing a lot. You don't really. But nowadays, everybody's like, oh, I'm going yoga and Pilates and CrossFit, and I'm, you know, like it's there's a lot. But you're old school. It's like basketball hoops and surf. Yeah, and I'm not really running hoops. I'm just shooting the rock. Yeah, you know, like running is gonna do me wrong right now. Yeah. But I, yeah, I love basketball and. Obviously, Lakers are champs, so yes, yeah. that's the best thing ever. Yeah, Lakes. Um, but yeah, so, man. And Dodgers. L.A. I know. Dominating. That's so cool. My, my yeah. family's like How three, awesome gen- three generation, like, Dodger and Laker fans. So that's my mom, like, my mom's the biggest fan I've ever seen. Like, she's so crazy. <laughs> like, she'll cry. Not- she'll cry when the Lakers lose. And it's, it's, Same it's, here, dude. It's yeah. hilarious. I've, I've, uh, I've been known to tear up hotel lobbies. Yeah. After a Laker win or loss, my, my so good. We, we, so good. Before kids or when they were really young, and we we would have Laker nights. You know, like mm-hmm. hey, we rotate houses. My wife be like, kids are getting old enough to understand f bombs like oh, every yeah. other like play, and this guy's screaming like, hey, no more, uh, like, no more. Cool, like Lennon just got to pipe it down, but he's so. He doesn't realize he's doing it. He's just super psyched. I, love, yeah. that. I love that passion. Oh, yeah, dude. it's good. But going back to that that passion for you know fantasy and, and surfing and, yeah. and our you know our sport, I just I'm, I really who's hope your they could get favorite it. surfer of all time, Mister B Man? Probably Archie. Archie. Damn, sick. Really? Heck yeah. yeah. You know he was just on the podcast. I know. I Did know. you listen to it? Absolutely. You uh, better have. I love Archie, yeah. dude. Archie's like was my freaking guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. I just love the way he surfs. The guy was like, 
Dude, I mean, he surfed so good. Yeah, and he was I'm, just so raw, and he was just—he was just different. He was fucking awesome. Yeah, you hear that, Arch? Yeah, yeah. Before all the momentum and the Taylor Still movement, it was for me. It was that when Strange Desires of Potter came out, I must have watched that yeah. a gazillion times, and and Wave Warriors like with the Archie like section, mm-hmm. I must have watched that a gazillion times, and just be like. I was a big Aki fan too. Yeah, and it was more Archie, but I loved Aki too. But yeah. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of good, you know, movies out at the time. But as far as guys that you wanted to emulate and like style, power, turns, yeah, like just pure yeah. fantasy surf team right now, eight people. What was eight? What what break? Where are we surfing? Like that's just a it's a loaded look, question. Look where are we surfing? Yeah, he's I'm, not going to give away. Just Team, come nah, on. He's not giving yeah, but, away his. Are secrets. we in France? Are we in Portugal? Are we in Hawaii? Okay, yeah, let's are we say, in April? But, but but are you but are you in France at ten foot beach break oh. or France like two foot beach break? Are you in? Well, hey, lowers, lowers, lowers. It's not on tour. You're going Italo, Philippe, Gabby, at lowers, John, John, for sure for your team at lowers. Yeah, so Italo, Italo, Philippe. Believe, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know I can't get all, I can't get all of those guys on my squad. But you can pick three, but then your last three are going to be. I get Griff, I get Griff maybe depending on where he was at. Kalohe always kills me there, but I, I you want to pick him because yeah. you think he's just going to win it one day. Um, and then uh, I don't know, like dude, like Jack Robbo has been pretty impressive. I don't yeah. know if you do get at lowers, but he's good. He's anywhere. pretty gnarly, dude. He's, he's good anywhere. Yeah, and then uh, I don't know, like, cause there's a there's kind of that new crop, dude. Ethan, you and that guy is, that guy will probably look real good at lowers. Really? I, mean, I know he had a shocker his first year, but he is he's he, one of my, he's one of the best servers to watch right now. Yeah, like I love the way that guy serves. Yeah, he's he like, well. he's a he's, he's a, a he's a I, I he's like, a fanning two point He's as far as Archie, but or, but it's not Archie. Sorry, he's got this like Arkham. understated flair. Irons. It's just like Irons. I don't know. I, I love yeah. the way he serves. He like has an extra like. It's an extra gear or something. Yeah. I would go with like a Yaga Dora because he's oh, yeah. won there before. That's good. And he's... Whoa, dude. Dark right. horse. I like no. that. I like no. that. Dude. Look at this dark horse. Right. It's good though, saying, like, there's, there, It's not about their top three out of the top totally. six. Because you know they're all going to be quarters whatever. It's yeah, that bottom middle one. bottom. That's and, the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that Yaga pick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if sure. you can get... I mean, my goal was always to get. Have you won one? Oh yeah, I picked Bobby uh, Martinez, Dane Reynolds, um, <laughs> Jay Larson. Yeah, Jay Larson. <laughs> hey, I won hey, Late nights, one of those ones. Yeah, I bet, dude. This guy's amazing. He, I remember his, when we were kids, dude, watching Jay surf, and it was mind blowing. Late night won that C, Rusty C five challenge. Dude. I did, dude. I, I believe I it. Obviously, he won that. I'm not. I, uh, yeah. What you win? Ten grand. Ten G's. Yeah. What year was that? Ninety nine. 90-something? Nine. I'll never forget the, this one floater you did in front of me. It was like a foam climb floater that was like, you climbed it, then you went, shh, boom, and the air dropped. It was like the gnarliest thing I've ever seen as a kid. Ugh. It was like big, it was big <laughs> south side. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Wyatt Earp, he was out there. Wyatt did another one like right after you. Nice. But it was you guys. Earp. You guys are so good. Wyatt Earp. Kids. I love Earp, dude. Love him. Yeah. He's a... Uh... He's our boy. Yeah. Love you, Eric. Yep. And even though he doesn't listen to the show, he's just... He doesn't surf anymore. He doesn't. He's going, he's going to Hawaii. He's staying at a condo next week. See? Yeah. That's good luck, Eric. Right. Yeah. It's supposed to be pumping, right? Yeah. That's good. Hold hold, hold on to your leash. <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait. Hopefully, fantasy. I mean, is it going to happen next year? I, I mean, I, it's going to. 
I heard rumors. Uh, or this year, is it, right? Isn't isn't um it's supposed to be this year and pipe happening? There's fifty fifty. It's all about if they open up um, international travel. Right. You know. God and yeah. who knows? I mean, with things going on right now, it's kind of getting sketchy. Yeah. It's just, it's unfortunate, but I mean, surfers are like chameleons are able to like bend and slide and figure out ways to get like somewhere you know you've seen all the footage in indo the last couple months and by the way it's been pumping um, there for like two months straight i think the best saw... best winter they've ever had or dry season whatever you want to call it yeah yeah for sure they got they scored and uh what what's uh raz i'm gonna cut that out raz Rad. Oh yeah, Strider. Strider. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, dude. I mean, hopefully they can travel and get to Hawaii, and we could start some surfing again. Yeah, I miss it, dude. Yeah, I know. We look forward to those comps so much, dude. It's, can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Well, twenty twenty one, baby. Yeah. Well, we, you know, like Linda said, we we uh, we love hearing you know stories. You're our, our longtime bro, and you have. A great story. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah. This, this was this was fun. For and, sure. Yeah, we we like to. It's funny when you look when you think of uh, people to interview, you know. Yeah. And you always think of the obvious people, right? Like pro surfers, whatever, business owners, and then you 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 turn around and you go, Brian Alper. I had to sell him on it. He's like, what? Guy, what? He didn't know. And I'm like, dude, no. Alper's yeah. done some stuff. He kind of knew, but I knew. I, but I mean, to to like, and then when you emailed the list, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I have not, to yeah. hear this. I'm not real self promotional, so no. I'm like out there like talking about everything that's been accomplished. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's amazing. But that, but yeah, but you. that's what's cool is the common denominator. Like we always talk about is surf, and you know we, you know we grew up and we know each other. But um, you know we've because we know each other, we knew we knew what you've been involved in over the last twenty years, yeah. and. Um, I, I just I just knew it would be a great your great story and, yeah. and insight to you know trials and tribulations and and wins and losses and, and coming out on top with a big smile. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm stoked, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely fun. Big B, Brian. Yeah. Wait, let's recap. Uh, DJ Hip Hopper, Rave Raver, Rave Promoter, uh, Event Planner. Fifteen million a, a year budget family. manager of Scion Marketing. Yeah, <laughs> beyond marketing, holy shnikes. Yeah, and now, uh, uh, Palm Springs Surf Club. And Palm Springs Surf Club. We're gonna be going there soon. Oh, we gotta be doing a podcast from there, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Twenty twenty one fall. B man, Brian Alper. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Peace. Later. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.